amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Knockback is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to collinslaststand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan the Elderly Moriarty. Dagan, thank you so much for... Joining me today, I was going to originally called you the uh, the elder, but the I wanted elder. to insult you a little bit. That's a, well, I like uh, it. I, it's well. the return of King Farouk, as I yes. like to call, as I like to call indeed. it. Indeed, indeed. Now, Dagan, indeed, a friend with weed is a friend indeed, <laughs> as the old saying goes. Now, Dagan, today's episode of Knockback, our nostalgia and retro podcast, is uh, kind of a light. A light one, a, a good spirited one, I think. It's all about grandparents, our grandparents, the audience's grandparents, Woo. stories of grandparentry, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> and uh, I selected this topic just because I think it'll be a fun one to talk about, especially from our two different perspectives. You have much more grandparent experience, let's say, than I do just over time since... Uh, I really only had like an active relationship with my grandparents for maybe like a third of my life. Yeah. While you had it for maybe like half of your life. Right. Or so. So it's a little bit That's true. of a different perspective from that point of view. And of course, our audience has a lot of input from Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where the audience supports our show. We appreciate you. There are thousands of you there. You can get early ad free access to our show, the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to our show and also select topics of which you have selected many. We're going to be doing one of those selected topics next week about a special video game that you all very much enjoy. That's going to be a big one. That's going to be a fun one. I know. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. I'm very excited about that. Now, Dig, before we get into it, let me kick it over to you for our opening segment for this wave of knockback. We do an opening segment and some closing segments every wave and Dagan usually selects those so I leave it to you to explain and take it away all right my friend well you guys Kyle as you will recall the opening segment for knockback wave 11 is called it's a little segment we like to call fake news very simple little play along at home segment for you guys as well Colin will also play along of course and I'm going to read you two news stories one is a real news story that I have gleaned from the internet's And the other news story is one that I created myself. It's a fake news story that I am using to try to fool you guys into thinking it's the real news story. So you guys just tell me, you guys and Kyle, tell me what is the real news story and which is the fake news story. As simple as that. You ready to go? I'm ready. And I I do have to, I take a little bit of umbrage with your... You're trying to fool us. I don't know how much much you're really trying to fool anyone. The original idea was that I would try to fool you guys, but I've been very self-indulgent. I, would, I wouldn't even say pretty self-indulgent. I've been extremely indulgent in just trying to write these flowery pieces of things to make myself laugh and hopefully make you guys laugh. But this one actually has an interesting twist, Kyle, which you'll see right away as I read right. these. Okay? Okay. 
All right. Yep. So let's start with the first one. And here's number one. A northern Tennessee family who believed that one of their kids' toys was possibly possessed has finally gotten to the bottom of this month months-long mystery. For almost two years straight, a seemingly innocuous plush skunk has disappeared daily from the Finelli family's finished basement, only to be discovered outside in the children's treehouse the next morning. The skunk had always been snatched only after the three small children were asleep, and even when the parents, according to their testimony, stored the spooky skunk in the toy box, on a high shelf, or under a couch. As it turns out, an actual skunk had been pushing open the basement window and snatching the stuffed skunk, whisking it away to the tree fort, where it's always found the next day no worse for wear, believe it or not. Mr. Finelli finally caught the stinky stalker red-handed using a planted video camera, which he was relieved did not reveal a ghost. The Finelli family has installed brand new basement windows and replaced the old plush skunk with a similar but decidedly different toy. They're hoping that their neighborhood skunk won't be interested in their new stuffed fox. But one never knows. Okay, that's number one. All right. Okay. Number two. Kyle, an eastern Long Island woman suspects that her pet turtle has been stolen and she's taking action into her own hands. Mrs. Edward Rayner of, are you ready for this? Brookhaven Hamlet has been feeding a neighborhood box turtle for the past four years, making her family pancake recipe and leaving a pair of the flapjacks on her back porch for the peckish reptile. But when the turtle suddenly stopped showing up for breakfast last week, Mrs. Rayner became suspicious, hanging handmade posters all over town, offering a handsome reward for any information leading to the recovery of the supposedly kidnapped creature. So far, nobody has stepped up with info on the beloved turtle's whereabouts. And that's number two. That's it. Hmm. Two animal stories. Two animal stories. Two now, let me think here because you could, you're could you throwing me for a loop here with the Long Island one and okay. obviously the Brookhaven one. So now you're getting a little cute by half here, I think. <laughs> Let's see. what. Where did the describe? Read the first sentence of the first one to me real quick. Sure. The first one I read today. Yeah, the first one of the first sentence. The, se- the first one's first sentence. A yeah. northern Tennessee family who All believed right. that one of their kids' toys was possibly possessed. I think that the first one is fake. The first one I read is the fake one is correct. That is the fake yes. one. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And this number two, this really, Colin, this is pulled from a 1925 New York, New York Times article, August 1925. Brookhaven Hamlet featuring prominently in the New York Times. Very nice. I'm, I'm happy. The uh, the gray lady, I believe they call her the the, <laughs> the newspaper of record. Oh, that's call. right. That's right. Yeah, you're right. And you know what? This story was actually really interesting because this story, I had to condense it into a paragraph, was like probably three or four paragraphs. And it went to this whole thing about how in Brookhaven, now I had never known about this, in Brookhaven, it was pretty commonplace to like adopt a turtle, a wild turtle, and make it a pet. And people would just feed them and they would come. And a lot of times families would mark the turtle, like scratch into their shell with the initial, like the last name. And they would know that turtle. So it would come for years, hopefully. And they would sort of adopt it as, you know, surrogate pets. 
And I thought that was such a funny thing that in Brookhaven, this was such a crazy thing that had been going on since, you know, the early 1900s, late 1800s. So I think we should revive that tradition. I know. Start carving our names into the back of various turtles, various shelled animals. I would like to kidnap a turtle. I'm going to be honest with you what I would do with the turtle. Can you you take one guess what I would do with the turtle if I caught one and then re-released it back into the wild? Probably paint like a blue belt yes. on it. That's correct. Something. Yeah, that's correct. Little yeah. red, little blue headband around the eyes. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't harm them. Put little fake swords, those little uh, hamburger swords. <laughs> I'm doing this. I'm doing it. <laughs> that's, dude, I used to love getting those hamburger swords because I used to like use them with my G.I. Joes. Oh, they're he- oh, it was amazing. Those are amazing. I think I, bracked, I, I broke a thumb or two doing that but oh trying not, to squeeze it fit. into the <laughs> yeah <laughs> who didn't break a thumb or two on their gi joe such tragic it, it, uh, really some tra- such tragedy befell us all in that regard definitely uh, i'll right. tell you why i'll tell you why i knew the first one was there was fake this is this is there's three things in there that i knew okay that it probably wasn't real i'll, I'll give it i'll tell you now I, the first one's just instinctual i don't know if it's actually true or not but you said northern tennessee that doesn't sound like a, a real description because tennessee is a long thin state that's so true. you would think it would be eastern, western or central mm. Tennessee, just like Ma- I think of Massachusetts, not nearly as big as Tennessee, but similar thing where it's like eastern, central and western mass. No one says northern mass, really. Mm, that's or southern good, mass, that's really. Catch. That's not I mean, people can say that. So that's one thing. But it would be weird. That I yeah. noted. Oh, that's a good catch. The second thing is, as you said, according to the family's testimony. Yeah. Which could be literal. I mean, but that would seem to indicate this went to the court of law in some, in some way. I don't know. Right. And Not then totally. uh, you had a you finished with a flourish, you said, but one never knows, <laughs> which I don't think would be in the newspaper article. Not personally. very journalistic. <laughs> Plus the the ridiculous amount of alliteration. <laughs> it's like very flowery. So very flowery. So those were the thing, those were the reasons that I pulled it out. But then when you pulled out Long Island and Brookhaven, see, I didn't know if that was like supposed to be a blinking a light, up. like a distraction, yes. as it were. Yeah. To me. No, that's a good catch. That's a good catch. I was tickled because I was going to actually initially with that one, I was just going to lay in a fake, you know, underlining name and then tell you later that's really Brookhaven Hamlet. But. I thought it was more fun to just read it that way. I was so, I mean, it was like so weird when I found that story too, because I just started looking. It was like maybe the third story that I considered. And I was like, what? Wait, what? Is this for real? And actually, the um, document had the initial, I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they had some sort of photography back then in the papers, but it had illustrations accompanying all the stories. And they were just like very simple line work. And I thought that was really neat. It was they were all of a very specific style. They were all pretty cool. So it's cool to go back and see like Brookhaven Hamlet, where you know, of course, that's where Colin and I grew up, out on Long Island. It's a very small area of Long Island on the South Shore, pretty far out east, but not quite as far east as the Hamptons. It's like kind of cool to see that area figure prominently in a big newspaper. That's pretty pretty neat. Even today, that would be kind of strange. Yeah, very cool. Good, good pull. Good random find. A serendipitous find. Thank you. Thank you. Our little archivist, <laughs> Dagan Moriarty. That's correct. All right. Now, Dig, let's let's get into the topic at hand, if you don't mind. I can't wait. I can't uh, wait. The, the topic of grandparents. I thought we would open with a couple of comments 
from the audience before we get into anything else. We actually got I was going through today. I used to go through our topic list and grab all the questions and stuff at once for like yeah. 10 topics. But now yeah. I'm just going in and just grabbing them per week. And so it gives oh, me time cool. to really take care of them and like read them carefully. That's and stuff. a good and, way to do it. Sure. Yeah. And uh, we got more, way more feedback on this episode than I would have assumed. I'm happy. And so that. I'm trying to use as many of them. Yeah, me too. And I'm trying to use as many of them as I can. So we'll start with a little bit of a tribute here. Okay. Uh, Bo wrote into us and he said, just want to give a public tribute to my late grandfather, Charles Eugene Franklin. My parents divorced when I was about 11. My biological dad moved away and was in and out of my life. His dad stepped in and essentially became my father. We bonded over SEC college football and were inseparable in my teens. Sadly, he died of a heart attack at the young age of 72 in 2002. Nothing in my life has gutted me like the news we'd lost him. He was a great man that filled the void left by his own son, and I'll be forever grateful to him. Love you, Papa. Wow. He's he's leaving us with a little bit of a tearjerker here at the very beginning. But don't worry. As is every episode of Knockback, this will slowly devolve into madness. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I wanted to start with that. Oh, DeBose. Uh, grandfather, we have a, a couple more here. Okay. Uh, James Kinslow III wrote in and said, hey, Colin and Dagan, I hope all is well. My grandmother, my grandma, sorry, Elsie, dad's mom, lived in the country where it was always dark at night and quiet except for the coyotes off in the distance. My grandma was very protective of me and my younger brother, and she always slept with a revolver under her pillow. No. I remember one night a house about a mile up the gravel road from where my grandma lived was having a party. Some young drunk dude had made his way down to my grandma's house and was beating on the front door wanting to use her phone. This was the late 90s before cell phones were everywhere. My grandma had one rule. You never take the Lord's name in vain. That night, since my brother and I were at her house, my grandma broke that rule. She grabbed her revolver from under her pillow opened the front door and yelled, get off my goddamn porch and get the fuck out of here while pointing her revolver in the dude's face. You best believe he left in a hurry. I never again heard her take the Lord's name in vain or say the word fuck. She was a badass. She passed in 2012 and I haven't cried as hard as that day since. Oh, uh, I'm sorry for well, your loss, you for that, James, James, but your grandmother was Annie friggin' Oakley. <laughs> so sick. That's so sick. <laughs> now, let me now let me segue into something that's a little more relatable for you and I and okay. our experience. OK, OK. Maybe not one of these, but certainly another one of them. One of them is just funny. <laughs> Officer Friendly wrote a note. <laughs> Officer Friendly wrote a note and said, "Hey boys, with the holiday season around us, I figured I would share two memories of my grandparents from the holiday season. One would <laughs> one would be Grandma, who would continuously set her sleeve on fire from candles while reaching across the dinner table." <laughs> I like this one, though. I'm coming more. The other would be from my grandfather, who would always say, God willing, I will be here next year at every holiday. <laughs> Grim, I know. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> a little more relatable for our, our, our a little more our that. speed. I love that. Grandma, first of all, get some short sleeves. Maybe a tank top. I know. Great. Well, I don't know if we want to see Grandma in a tank top, but <laughs> I mean, she tweets his own night. <laughs> Yeah, forget the tank. Forget the tank top idea. We she's don't want to see your four. She's gonna be walking around knee in her boobs. <laughs> we don't want to see your forearm forearm jowls. <laughs> she's gonna get her she's gonna light her boob on fire. Oh we don't want God. that. <clears throat> Holy moly! Oof. All right, grandparents, we're off to a we're off to a, a running start. <laughs> I like Dig. it. I like it. When I brought this topic up. Now, everyone has, you know, technically speaking, everyone has four grandparents, two sets of two grandparents. Yeah. What 
comes to mind to you or what came to mind to you when you saw this on the topic list? What did you want to talk about? Well, I immediately one of the first things I thought was, you know, I love hearing from our listeners. And that was one of literally one of the first things I thought I was like, wow, this is going to be a great one to get listener feedback, because I'd love to hear everyone's stories, because when we're talking about topics like this including our grandparents topic now it's a really personal thing so i love and you know just those first three or four stories you know they're hilarious and they're also all over the place everybody's experience is so different especially the specific people that we're dealing with the family structure and where people are from you know as we heard like the grandma with the revolver under the pillow i mean that's so that's such a foreign thing to us you know in the northeast of the united states but that's certainly a real thing you know in other places so i love that and I was really excited, like you said in the opening, to hear your perspective, Kyle, being, you know, 11 years my junior and you having a whole different age perspective on it and just sharing stories of my the three grandparents that I grew up with, because one, as we'll talk about, one I missed, but especially two of them who were some of the biggest figures in my entire life and will who will always be two of the biggest influencers and two of the two of the biggest people that shaped me in over my life so to be able to do a little tribute and to talk about those two especially I'm really looking forward to you know memories and funny stories and anything we could come up with to you know flesh these people out for our listeners because they were they were both characters and they were both characters in our lives so I'm looking forward to talking about that yeah me too it's interesting yeah I guess we should begin by saying our dad's parents, we weren't we weren't as close to our dad's side as we've said many times, which is unfortunate, but it's just the reality of the situation. We just weren't as close to them, right. which I think kind of happens, I think, especially especially back then with more uh, nuclear style stay at home mom families where I think families kind of gravitated generally towards the mom side of the family. So I don't think that that's necessarily that unusual. But as Dagan said, we didn't ever know our dad's mother who passed away before Dagan was even born. Yeah. So years before Dagan was born, I think dad was 19. I think it was 1969, I believe, or 1968 when she passed. I think it was Between 71. 1968 and, I should say. Oh, I 71. Say, so he was 20. I'm really bad with dates. I would have got that wrong. So what I did was seems, yesterday or two yeah. days ago, I called mom and dad and got oh, just names and dates because I'm really, really bad with that. So, yeah, she passed when dad was 20 and 71. So it was even a few years, two and a half years before I was born. And right before mom and dad got married, actually, she passed. So interesting. That's yeah. later than I had thought or remembered it being. So, yeah. So that's it. That adds a whole another interesting dynamic in the sense of mom's relationship in whatever respect to her as well, because we I just have no. I don't really know like anything about or very much about this particular woman. I don't know a whole lot about her, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And I've always mysterious information over the years. She was always a mystical figure for me. Her, na her name was Marie. I always call her grandma Marie and Allie, our sister Allie's middle name was taken from grandma Marie. And of course, grandma Marie Moriarty. And she was married to our grandfather who we called Poppy. Uh, Christopher Moriarty and she she dad reminded me yesterday or the day before when I spoke to him he was saying which I had forgotten about she developed cancer all the way back when he was dad was 13 at the time when she was initially diagnosed so she had a seven-year bout in the 60s with cancer and which had started somewhere but then spread 
and it got it got pretty nasty, but she fought for quite a long time. But really what I knew about her all my life, which mom always told me about, even as a little boy, she would tell me about Grandma Marie and how lovely she was and how, how awesome she was and how kind she was. But the one thing mom always said about her was how much she loved dad, how much Grandma Marie loved dad. And really like, she, he was kind of like the apple of, of her eye in many ways, which I always, that always made me miss, feel like I missed her more. She's that one person in my life who, who I had always grown up thinking about, wow, it would have been really cool to know her. I had always felt that little sense of loss with her because it was like a figure, you know, that's, that's a major figure in your life. That's what, you know, that's like my dad, you know, obviously my idol growing up, one of my best friends today, you know, it's like where he came from. So it's like that it's, there's a real sense of loss in not getting to know that person who, you know, gave this man, this special figure in your life, life, you know? So it's like, wow, I always wished I got to know her and it's even cool to look at pictures of her and because we really literally got to know we didn't get to know anything about her and I think there was also a little bit of a sense of sorrow for me not being closer to a little closer to that you know dad's side of the family because then I could have probably learned more about her had I been closer to dad's siblings or to Poppy himself or whatever but like you said that's natural that's a natural thing and it's interesting what you said too Kyle, about families tending to be closer to the mother's side of the family. I don't think I've ever really thought about that before. But that now that I'm thinking about specific families, I'm thinking about Helene's family and other families in my life, it, it does always oftentimes seem like families are closer to the mother's side of the family. That's really, really interesting, the maternal side. So, yeah, if that's, that's Grandma Marie for me. I You know, it's somebody who... You know, it's one of those things where it's like it gives you hope in the afterlife because you kind of hope to to meet this person or, you know, somehow, you know, that, that whole mystical thing of like getting to know somebody after death or whatever. It's like, wow, man, it'd be so cool to spend a, spend a day with her, like catching up on everything I never knew about her. Because I don't I still don't know much about her at all, like who she was. An interesting thing about Poppy and Grandma Marie was that especially for their generation, was that they came from Long Island. She's from Mineola. She's not from Brooklyn, which is very odd because most of that generation came from the city, the boroughs. You know, they came from Queens, especially Brooklyn, even Manhattan, and they migrated out to the suburbs. But Poppy and Grandma Marie were both born and raised on Long Island, which I always thought was, um, and even, even with mom and dad's generation, you know, dad's from Long Island. And mom is not. Mom is from initially from Brooklyn. So I always thought that was kind of neat that they're true. They always felt like true Long Islanders to me. There was no migration. They were like first generation Long Island, which I thought was neat. Yeah, Long Island is so different before the war, before the baby boomers and before the, the suburban expansion all the way out to uh, Suffolk County where we're from. But yeah, that is interesting because it, it was just such a rural existence back then. You know, like uh, what, like the Great Gatsby and all that kind of stuff. Even if you think about it in that regard, yeah, that's what it always feels like to me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like very rural communities, farming communities, and then lots of rich people spending their time away from the doldrums of the city, as it were. Although the city was pretty cool back then too, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, it, it is. It is sad, and there's an extra, I guess, layer of sadness on it for all of us in the sense that. 
dad probably whole i'm sure not probably holds a lot of pain over this situation and it's interesting to think about that level of loss in your early 20s and what that does to a person and how you kind of have to just move on and i guess figure it out and i don't really remember dad talking very much at all about his mom to me unprompted that I, I like would never really come up and frankly his dad would really never come up unprompted either yeah although i think he found a relationship with his dad a little later in life so that makes some sort of sense but what do you remember about your early kind of relationship with poppy because poppy like i met poppy i knew poppy poppy died i guess when i was I feel like Poppy died. Well, you got the dates, right? Poppy died before. Yeah, he died. He pa- Grandpa Rogero. Yeah, Grandpa. Well, Grandpa uh, passed in 90. We had to figure this one out last night because we were re- mom and I were really racking our brains between 96 and 97. But we Grandpa, it, it ended up that Grandpa passed in March of 97. Poppy. 97. Okay. Poppy passed in July of 92, which is right after I, a month after I graduated from high school. Which I, I thought I thought Poppy died later, so it's so interesting to get all the dates and juxtapose them. You know, the sort of the happier, upbeat events with the other. You know, if I think of high school graduation and then my high school graduation, Poppy's passing was sandwiched between my high school graduation and Dana's high school graduation. Dana was already, I think Dana was already accepted to Oswego. So it's like you think of all the things juxtaposed against one another, all the dates, and it's just it's kind of a blur. You know, it's a, I wouldn't have guessed that Poppy died in 92. It seems like he passed later. But my earliest recollections of Poppy, and we talked about this on Knockback in the past, that our family tradition growing up, usually for holidays, was, well, first of all, we, we hosted a lot of holidays at our house because we tended to have one of the bigger homes in the family growing up. So when we lived in Medford initially, and then when mom and dad, bought, uh, you know, built the bigger house in Brookhaven later on, we tended to host Christmas, Thanksgiving, stuff like that. But Easter, for whatever reason, Easter, oftentimes we went out, we traveled out to Nassau County, and we did a lot of we we did a lot of going back and forth to Grandma and Grandpa's house, as far as Mom's parents, Grandma and Grandpa Rogero's house. But whatever event was happening, we would always, almost always, go to Poppy's first. And we would stop in, you know, I always think about it as like the stop in. We would go to Poppy's, we would visit with the family, maybe have a quick bite, hang out for an hour or two. But the final destination always seemed to be grandma and grandpa's house. Now, Poppy and grandma and grandpa lived only a couple miles apart. Dad grew up in uh, Williston Park, Long Island, and mom grew up in Albertson. So they were only a town or two away from each other. In fact, they might, I think Searingtown is def, is in between, but Searingtown is really tiny. So those two towns almost butt up against each other. So there was always a, a great convenience because Poppy and Grandma were right down the street from each other. And, but I always remember going to Poppy's and it was a little more uncomfortable because we were just a little less comfortable there because we were a little less accustomed to being in that place. We were much more familiar with Grandma's house, with you know, Aunt Joni and Aunt Carla and Uncle Mike and everybody being there, Grandma and Grandpa, of course. It was just much more comfortable because it was much closer to that side of the family. So there was always a little bit of a feeling of being on your best behavior at Poppy's house. Now, I will say, Poppy, it wasn't that Poppy was not warm. He was welcoming. 
he would there was a warmth there wasn't you know he he would smile and joke and everything like that a couple of things i remember i had to ask that i said how tall was poppy because he always seemed like a giant to me he always seemed really big and intimidating just his physique and his build and dad was like he was six feet so dad was actually three inches taller is three inches taller than poppy was but i i could swear if i you had to ask me right now and i had to answer i would say poppy was like six four six five he always seemed that probably just speaks to me being a little kid but he always seemed like this big intimidating guy you know he was he had a really big build he was stocky he was tall he had really big hands and he would i always remember him with his cigars he was an avid cigar smoker and when we came, he would he had a chair. You know, think of like Archie Bunker with his chair, right? Now, I don't remember if it was an armchair or if it was a recliner. But he had a chair that he always sat in in his living room, you know, his TV room, which was like his back room. And his living room was like the formal room in the front of the house. And me and mom were joking about it the other day because Poppy would always, you know, very, the consummate Irish guy, right? He would always make jokes about Italian, you know, good-natured jokes about Italian and everything like that. And mom would say to him, you call you call me a guinea, like, look at your couches. His furniture was all wrapped in plastic. Like you think of the prototypical <laughs> Italian. And now our grandparents didn't, it was a much warmer environment. They didn't have, we didn't have the plastic-wrapped furniture in our grandparents' house. But that was a known thing. Like I had many friends, families who did have that, but not our grandparents. But Poppy's, I remember Poppy's living room. It was like starched plastic over everything. So everyone hung out in the back room. That was the more comfortable room, the TV room. And when we would go, I remember it was like, it was sort of a tradition. I would go, Poppy would have his cigar, maybe his drink on the little end table there with the lamp. And I would go sit on his lap when I first got there and or sit on the chair with him and talk to him, how, how's, how you doing? How's school? It was very, you know, oh, fine. You know, very formal, short answers, you know, short questions, short answers. And then he would give me a gift of some kind, you know, a little thing, a trinket, you know, a little thing from the stationery store or a stuffed animal or whatever it was. And, you know, I remember I didn't know him well, so it wasn't like the type of, although it was really thoughtful, especially in retrospect, I didn't know him like I knew grandma and grandpa. So I never got like the thing I was really into from him. Like he wasn't going to give me like a Star Wars thing or a Transformers thing. He, you know, it was more of a stock thing that you would just give a little kid. Like here's a stuffed animal. Here's a toy car, whatever it is. You know, it was that because he didn't know, you know, he really didn't know me. So he didn't really know what we liked or what Dana liked or what Allie liked. He would just give us a little thing. And then, you know, he would hang out with mom and dad. Then we would be off the lap and we would just be walking around the house. And it was never running around the house. It was never acting crazy. You know, he would visit with mom and dad. They would hang out, whoever else was there, whatever aunts and uncles were also there. And then we would stay for an hour or two. And then we would leave. He had, there's a couple of really vivid childhood memories I have from just being in that house and in that yard, call. Dad's house was right, it was either a house away or right next to the train tracks. And that was the Oyster Bay line. That's the train that ran from, you know, through Roslyn and Albertson, through Mineola, and then to Jamaica and then to the city. And that's the line that Grandpa commuted on to work, which we'll talk about later. But Dad's house was right next to the train tracks, which is always really interesting to me. And then he had a detached, his house, he had a little cape 
little two-floor cape, and it was a ta- there was a detached, I want to say it was a two-car garage in the back of the house, very Queens-style housing, and this really cool detached two-car garage where they kept all the old toys. So we would always play in there, and like Dad and Aunt Mary Ellen and Aunt Barbara and Uncle Mike's, their old toys would be in there, and they would be like really old. Some of the really old toys from like the 50s and 60s, like old wooden Fisher-Price toys, they almost seemed like antiques to us at the time. So it was always fascinating to dig through those crates of old toys and stuff. And then there was also, Mom was like, you remember this? And I was like, totally. I totally remember this. There was a sump, a drainage sump, behind, right behind Dad's house. And we would go, you know, think of those giant pits that they had in, that they have in the suburbs, and they fill with the stormwater, basically. But they're almost always fenced in. And I remember this specific one being very steep, like the, the walls going down, the, the hills going down to the sump part were very steep. And it was always very high. So whatever drainage, you know, it was getting a lot of drainage, a lot of the rainwater in there. And we would just, I remember throwing rocks in there and fooling around with my cousins. But we would always have to do everything from outside the fence because we were forbidden to go inside the uh, fenced area. And I think that's where dad said he would sleigh ride in the wintertime when he was growing up because it would ice over and then the hills would all be snow. So I remember that, you know, sort of making a, a fun little like excursion outside because it was different. From where we grew up in Medford, which is a much more a much newer established suburb, this 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 is a very old suburb dating back post World War II. So you have the you know how it is, Kyle. You have the mature trees. It's a whole different aesthetic, and it always seemed um, sort of foreign and kind of fun to me to be there um, at Poppy's house. But we never again we never spent a lot of time there, and it was always sort of almost always the lead in to being at grandma and grandpa. So if I'm being honest, a lot of the times you would just get bored, especially if our cousins on that side weren't there to play with or whatever. And we would just be looking forward to getting to grandma's house, you know, much of the time. You know, that was the reality of the, that was the reality of it for me and how, you know, we seemed to format it, you know, it was always that way. It was always poppies first, then we're going to go to grandma's for dinner or stay over or whatever we were going to do. Do you remember that, Kyle? Do you, was it, were you ever... You had to be part of that, but you might be way too young to remember that sort of form. Yeah, I, I, I only vaguely remember it, and it's one of those memories where you don't even know if you're like really remembering it properly. Or just, uh, the one thing I remember is that they had like a what do they have? A pet something? We've talked about this on the show. In the oh past. yeah, they, later uh, on, a ferret. A later ferret. on, his a like, ferret, yeah. his, right. I remember that, and that was his like new wife's Joan. Joan, right? Is that yeah. her name? Yep. Right. Uh, I remember like that briefly and, you know, but it's, it's hard to say like, well, I just remember that feeling too of what I remember is like a feeling of, uh, nervousness almost when I was a little kid because it just wasn't, it, these weren't people and it wasn't a space you really enter or I didn't really interact with much. And I assume it seemed to have tapered off. I don't know. We would have to ask dad and he would, you'd be pretty open about it, I think, but I don't know. Were they, did dad and his dad always get along or was there a period? I know that they didn't when they were younger than they did. And then I think that they, did they not again for a little while? And then they did like in the nineties or something. I don't know because it just seemed like it wasn't by the time it was my era. Yeah. It didn't seem like it was like this. It certainly, I I would, if it was like a regime that we did by going out to Nassau County and going to both of these places, I would remember that. 
And I know I don't what you mean. Remember that? Yeah. You know no, what I mean? Yeah. So, no. He. Always, I think Dad was very well. You know, Dad and his and his dad and our poppy, they had you know they had issues when Dad was a teenager, and I think Poppy was you know if in all fairness I think from it's not just from my perspective I think the the story is that I think Poppy was just really hard on Dad for whatever reason, which is a little strange because Dad fell somewhere in the middle of six kids. It's not like he was the oldest. He wasn't the youngest. So. I always thought that was a little strange. And what ended up happening was dad basically left home and went to the Air Force when he was 17, if I'm not mistaken. So he left home pretty young. And I think probably what happened was over time, you know, I know certainly by the time mom and dad were engaged, mom has a lot of really charming stories about hanging out over there with Poppy and how, you know, different experiences she had with Poppy and conversations and stuff. So it seemed friendly. So I think by the time dad got back out, cause dad was stationed in Texas. So when dad got back out a year or two or three later from being stationed out there and returned to long Island, he, I think, you know, he, whatever it was grow, they sort of patched things up. Dad had grown up. And I think dad was also extremely respectful. Like even if he still, didn't see eye to eye with Poppy. I think to me it was that dad always just respected him as his father, respected Poppy as his father. And we never heard dad say one negative thing about Poppy. I never heard dad say one negative thing about him at all. So I think there was an extreme amount of respect for Poppy coming from dad, even though I think Poppy was really hard on dad. And yeah, I, I liked it. We should talk about that sometime because if we just talk about like a, do a fathers and sons episode or something like that and just get into the nitty gritty, because I don't think dad would, would mind exploring that. And dad certainly, you know, our dad is certainly like an amazing father. So for him to come out of the situation he came out of, that was a little more harsh and to sort of, you know, become the father that he be, then became is, is actually really kind of a cool story, I think. You know, I would definitely, I would definitely love to talk about that more. But I, I always saw it like that. Yeah, breaking the cycle, as it were. I always saw it like that, and you know, mom, mom was also maybe, I'm not, you know, how much I love mom, but she, she was always maybe a little. I think just out of love, her love for dad would be vocal in front of us about her, you know, whatever exceptions she took with dad's side of the family or her problems with Poppy not. telling dad he could go to school for engineering which he initially wanted to do and stuff like that so we would hear especially maybe me as the oldest and probably dana too to some degree we would hear things that maybe kids shouldn't have heard but it was just out of mom's consternation with whatever you know was totally out of love for dad but we i would get little bits and pieces of things like that where mom would be upset at something and then i probably over time built up a little animosity towards, you know, for instance, Poppy, you know, where it's like, why didn't he let him go to do what he wanted to do for college? He would, he would have been a brilliant engineer or an architect or whatever. So although things worked out, maybe it's just like sort of the curse of being the oldest. I knew a little more and, you know, just from putting bits and pieces of conversations together, which is actually really interesting because I'm not, I wasn't a nosy kid. And in fact, I was probably pretty oblivious to most of the time what the adults were talking about because I was just into toys and friends and playing with my cousins and stuff. I didn't want to have anything to do with the adults. I, you know, I, I still don't want to have anything to do with the adults <laughs> at parties. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's actually interesting that I that I sort of built that up over the years. Maybe it was mom having conversations with her sisters about it. 
And again, it's just family stuff. It's nothing out of the ordinary. It's just maybe like a little bit of that picture that the, the, the oldest is able to build up and sort of get a little more clues into the situations that the parents aren't talking about. But it never came from dad. I never got anything but respect from him. And, you know, I always gave dad a lot of um, credit for that because he always kind of came off to me like he was a very loyal son. And I think that was really cool. I always thought that was really cool. Yeah, it definitely is. It, you know, he comes from a different era. And yeah, he's, dad's also a forgiving dude. So any consternation there probably would have been water under the bridge at some point between them anyway. Sure. Especially as dad became an adult. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Now, moving, I guess, segueing, as it were, to our mom's side, which is where we are much more, I don't want to say at home, but in a way, I guess that's true, but just much more familiar. And that was kind of where we spent a lion's share of our time with our grandparents as children. What comes to mind? I mean, obviously, many things come to mind, I'm sure. But what what kind of comes to mind for you as far as mom's side and the uh, and the grandparent experience with the Ruggiero family? It's really telling to me because I would say the first thing about grandma and grandpa, the first thing I think about when I think of grandma and grandpa, Ruggiero, mom's, you know, mom's parents, the people that, you know, were so beloved to me and I was so close with all my life until they passed, is that I think of them in two ways. I think of them as a unit, as a grandma and grandpa together. And then they were very, also very separately, they were also very unique characters and each played a different part in my life and sort of, you know, kind of brought me along and were really a big part of forming me as a person. I mean, even as important as mom and dad, I would say, that's how close I was to these people. And I think, you know, I consider myself very blessed and lucky because I was the first born out of four and as everybody knows, there's a large span in between the oldest and youngest. There's 11 years in between me and Kyle. And I feel very fortunate to have known them as well as I as I did. And they were also, they, it was interesting to note that when I was talking to mom, I was like, wow, grandma and grandpa were 47 and 48 years old when I was born. So just a year or two older than I am now. They were very young grandparents. And... I remember them being very young. I remember grandpa being very young with like the the black rimmed, horn rimmed glasses. They always seemed very stylish. And there's so much to say about the both of them. But I have to start by just saying that they were, I was so close to them growing up. I have, I, I have an earliest memory of both of them, which is actually really interesting that I'd like to talk about with you, Kyle. And they, but they gave me the idea of what a grandparent should be. You know, they gave me that idea of what I think a grandparent should actually be and how they should act. And, you know, you think about these, I always felt bad about this. Like you see kids growing up and I don't know if you could relate to this, Kyle, or if our listeners could relate to this, but, you know, you knew people throughout the course of your life, whether you had a cousin who had grandparents on the other side or whether you had friends that had their sets of grandparents or 
you know, later on, colleagues at work, whatever, that you you would hear the stories about their mean grandparents, and that I think the 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 reality of a mean grandparent always sort of broke my heart because grandma and grandpa were like the consummate grandparent for me. They were just like pure comfort, safety, you know, compassion, love. They were like the total safe place for me. You know, they were not disciplinarians in my life. Now I know I I was, you know, mom always jokes around about this with me, but you know, I was not I, but we were very well behaved kids. It wasn't like grandma and grandpa were going to take a role in rearing us because first of all, we had a mom and dad who were together and they were strict disciplinarians. They taught us manners. They taught us how to be polite. They taught us how to function as human beings. So it wasn't like grandma and grandpa were beholden to help raise us like, like it would be in some families where a grandparent would naturally take on a disciplinarian role if they have a young pregnancy. And if, you know, somebody gets pregnant really young, if they have, you know what I mean? Something, something a parent passes, they have to kind of step in in a parental role. But for me, I was very lucky when my grandparents just operated as grandparents and they never, they always made me feel welcome. They were always happy to see me. They were always extremely loving and it was sincere. It was like noting that from the very youngest age, it was like those people in my life who truly love me, they were never once seemed unhappy to see me. They always seemed like every time they see, they saw me or, or Dana or Allie or you, it felt like, it felt like they were going through Christmas morning. To the point, it was like, are they? Can they really be this happy to see me? They just saw me last Sunday, you know what I mean? But they oh, right. but they were, but they really were. It was like we really were like their their pride and joy. And I I opened up the show talking about King Farouk. That's what Grandma called me when I was born because I was her first grandchild, and she doted on me, dude. I mean, she was like I was her morning, noon, and night, you know, and I knew that always my whole life. I was very lucky that to have her grandpa too. But with grandma, it was like this thing where it was like, you know, I was her everything. And also you have to understand too, I, she had three girls and I was the first boy in her life. You know what I mean? So it was like, I was the first one that was like, that was, that came with like a special thing with her. And with grandpa, you know, there's so much to talk about because he was everything to me. I spent so much time with him. I was like, you know, we had a dad. You and I had a dad who was, I could tell you, in the 70s and in the 80s, like, dad was a workaholic. I mean, he worked a very hard job. He commuted to Brooklyn from Eastern Long Island, so he had a big commute. And he was a firefighter, so he worked those lengthy tours where he was gone for 36 hours at a time. But the other thing with our dad as is common for many firefighters, especially of that era, was that he worked side jobs as well. So dad literally worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I didn't see him a lot. You know, it wasn't the type of dad where I would see him a lot. So Grant, there was other figures in my life too. We talk about our beloved Uncle Mike. And, you know, later on, it was Uncle Tommy early on, then it became Uncle John. And then, but especially for me, grandpa was like, that was the main male figure in my life. And he, I spent a lot of time with grandpa, you know, he would take me 
our grandpa had, he was a beautician and he had a hair salon in Manhattan. That's what he did for a living. And he was such an interesting man because there's so many interesting things to say about him, but he really took me under his wing. He took me everywhere. He took me into the city with him. I rode the train with him. He took me out to eat all the time. He took, he's, he took me to the circus all the time. He would, you know, he was an early guy, really interesting where he was one of my, he's really a main figure in my life for getting me interested in video games because I would travel with him on the train and Penn Station in New York, right under Madison Square Garden, at that time had massive arcades in there. And he would just fill my pockets with quarters and say, go play games. And I remember playing Phoenix with him and playing like, you know, back in the day, playing Pac-Man when it first came out and all these old arcade games. And it was different than playing with mom and dad where they would say, here's 50 cents, like go burn 20 minutes. You know, he would like fill my pockets with like literally like dollars and dollars and dollars worth of quarters, $10 worth of quarters. So he was such a huge presence in my life and there was so much kindness. They taught me kindness and generosity. And I think everything they taught me, and I talked about them a lot in the church episode too, but it seems to me they've, they taught me a lot also by example because I saw how they operated in life and how they treated people, how they treated waitresses, how they treated clerks in a, in a store, how, you know, just how they acted. They were very elegant people. They were very fair. They were very kind. And I want to break down grandma and grandpa more because on an individual basis, there's so many funny things to talk about and so much fun stuff to talk about. And they were characters in their own right. But that's where I have to start with them. They were everything to me. And, you know, we would see them. I grew up, you know, mom and dad owned a house right across in the little town of Albertson where mom grew up and grandma and grandpa lived. It's a, it's a little less than mile by mile, one mile by one mile square, I think, town. And I was researching it. It's crazy. Albertson still has only like 5,200 people in it. Like a yeah, thousand, awesome. thousand families, a thousand twenty families or something. And we lived in a very small house when I was first born right across Willis Avenue, which is like a main drive. So like maybe an eighth of a mile away from grandma and grandpa. Now, when I was four years old and Dana was about two, we moved out east and we moved about 35 miles away. So we became a lot further away. But I had those formative years spending time with them, you know, probably daily. And even growing up, I never remember going very long without seeing them. Like if we went a two week stretch, it seems to me where we didn't see grandma and grandpa through the 70s and through the 80s, that would have been really odd. Like not to have seen them for two or three weeks and be like, whoa, like what's going on? Because it wasn't just holidays and visiting. It was summer barbecues. It was Sunday dinner. It was, you know, it was, we were very, very close. It, it couldn't have been any closer. It was the, it was the optimal comfort. Like I think of coming again, like going back to Poppy's house. I remember one very funny story. It was like we were bored and, you know, VCRs were out. So let's say it was 1984. And we were bored at Poppy's. And Poppy's like, oh, the kids are bored. Like, I got movies, blah, blah. And the most interesting movie he had was Cocoon. And I was mortified. <laughs> I was mortified. I was like, what? Like, this is horrifying. And it, it was because that place, that house wasn't tailored to kids. You know, they just weren't. Poppy just wasn't in that world. He wasn't in that mindset. 
you know, of having a place where kids could come and be comfortable and all that kind of stuff. He just wasn't in that. He was just different, you know, than grandma and grandpa. The, the same warmth doesn't apply. I don't know, you know, I don't know what it was, but going to grandma and grandpa's house was just the optimum comfort place. And I never felt anything negative from them. You know, they never, it's so interesting to think, right? Like they never got impatient with me. I don't remember them ever getting impatient with me once. You know, they never got, they never seemed to get tired of me or exasperated with me or lose any kind of patience or just be like, get out of here for a few minutes. They, they were always, I mean, it it had to be like a full-time job to be that kind and be that loving to, you know, not just me, but all the grandkids. And I'm sure everyone has the same experiences with grandma and grandpa just because of who they were. But that was what really spoke to me about them. It was like, we were such an important part of their lives. And they just took so much joy in having us as part of the family. I always felt that from them. I'll talk about a story later on where grandpa yelled at me one time when I was like 16 and I was devastated for like two weeks. And it lasted like literally five seconds. I was like devastated for two weeks like after grandpa yelled at me this one time when I was older. And but it was like that, like that's how it was. It was just like the I couldn't even imagine where I would be. I mean, think about those figures in your life, right? Your siblings, close aunts and uncles, of course, your parents, your children later on in life, your spouse later on in life. But think about those figures in your life that you would have. I would literally have no idea where I would be without these people in my life, grandma and grandpa together and as individuals. So for me, you know, if you, if you're kind of digging Dagan, it's all, it's all due to those people. It's all due to four people. And those are two of them. You know what I mean? So for me, that's where now I have to go back. We have to go back a little bit, Kyle, because I want to talk about my earliest memories with grandma and grandpa, but I want to hear about you. You know, you were born in October of 84. You came along much later. So now what do you remember best about grandma and grandpa? Like, it's funny because to me, grandma and grandpa obviously are the are their own two characters with their own stories and stuff. But I guess maybe and I, I think you can probably relate to this. A, a third character in that relationship was their house. Oh, God. And to me, I, I just I can still see every inch of that house and the color palettes in the house, like the browns and the oranges and the wooden grains. And it's like a little dark in there and a little smoky yeah. probably in there. And I just, I don't know. Like I remember really looking forward to being there, not only to be around their warmth and be around the family and, and eat and have fun or whatever, but because there were like a million nooks and crannies of that house, even though it wasn't a very large house. I don't know. I, I think your house is bigger than that. I mean, what would it be like 2000, 2200 square feet or something yeah their house was really tiny yeah their house was tiny it was tiny it was a tiny post-world war cape they built onto it the family room in the back of the house was built on at some some point in the 60s i'm imagining maybe it was the very early 70s it was always there for me so but yeah their house no that house was probably i should have asked mom this because it's a great question i would say probably 1500 square feet even with the living room Yeah. So not like a huge house by any stretch of the imagination. And yet I always found myself in different rooms doing different things. And 
each room seemed to have like its own personality to me and its own kind of mystique. I wrote that in my notebook, like just this mystique of like, uh, well, on the bottom floor, I'll, I'll describe it to everyone on the bottom floor. When you walked into the house immediately ahead of you into the left was a staircase upstairs. And then to the left of that was like a living room. And what I remember about this living room was not only the wood grain walls in the living room, but also there was this painting of like these in this circular frame, this ornate circular frame of like these angels yeah. or something, these like children, child angels or something. And the most memorable parts of that room to me were there was there was this like beautiful, like almost fainting couch in there. And then it had these orange cylindrical pillows on them that Dagan and I used to beat the shit out of each other with. And then I imagine <laughs> and then I imagine people used to for for decades before that were also beating the shit out of each other with. I don't I don't know for sure, but I remember that being like a real major feature of that room for us were the pillows and then a really cool like deep sunk sitting chair like this armchair that our sister Allie still has in her living room actually, which is really cool. That's right. And then my, my favorite feature of this room, though, day at, at grandma and grandpa's house in Albertson was in this far corner. There was like this window, not with a glass, but it like looked onto this extension that Dagan's talking about. So originally you walked forward down this hallway to the to the right of the staircase and then it wrapped around to the left and there was a kitchen there and then it would wrap around to the living room and so on. So it was just really self-contained first floor. And then on the right was like a bathroom and a couple of bedrooms. And what I. <laughs> What I absolutely um, adore about about this kind of different setup that we have is just kind of how it funnels you in some way towards the basement. That's what I love the most about it. But to the left of the basement, if you were to the left of the kitchen was were these three pictures of or they were three eventually, but it was like two pictures of like our dad and our mom and then Aunt Carla and Uncle Mike. I remember being there at all, my whole life when they got married. But yes. then like these, you know, what I'm talking about these yes. really weird there were airbrushed pictures. pictures of like, yeah, wedding pictures, but like very 70s or 60s-esque wedding pictures, 70s, I guess, of like the, de the, the man like looking at the woman in the wedding dress or whatever. It's like all airbrushed and weird. I remember. You know Dude, what I'm talking? You, you, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think if I'm not mistaken, I forgot all about this. That's a, such a good memory. I think there were wedding photos. And I think if I'm not mistaken, it was a pi very dark picture of the bride, like a medium shot. And then it was a silhouette of the groom's right. face in the back. That's what it was. Right. So it was a silhouette of dad's face and a silhouette of Uncle Mike's face. Sort of super. So weird. Behind. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. It was Uncle Mike's and and Aunt Carla's and mom and dad's. Yeah, you're right. I forgot all about that. And I want to say that Uncle John and Aunt Carlo or Aunt Joni rather were eventually added to that as well later on. They had. But to I be. could be wrong. because I remember. Be. Yeah, I think so, because I remember like wondering that was like a piece of like fascination for me for some reason. And I, I remember like actively wondering about about those pictures. But then you'd go into the kitchen and then there was a base, a door. Like I said earlier, everything kind of funneled you towards this basement door. And the basement itself was is like a really interesting memory with all of this food downstairs and these old this old washer and dryer, really low hung ceiling. And what I remember the most about it is the noise that they had like this, this, uh, I don't know what it was like linoleum floors or whatever yeah. down in the basement. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the noise that they made when you walked under them, on them rather, because I guess 
at some point they were kind of st- coming up or there was like dirt going under them and they all made these like really unique almost like crunching sound when you walked on them that's like very unique to my experience there and i've ex- i've seen i've seen it in old houses a few times and i like walked on it and i'm like oh it's the same thing so oh, whatever funny. that was i don't i don't know that's so funny that's such a nuanced memory i love that that's really cool i remember exactly what you're talking about and then the other side of the basement do you remember Kyle was fit cuz you're talking about the unfinished side with the yeah it was like stores and stores of like canned food look at a bomb shelter down there and no 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 it, it, but right. it was finished. Half of it was finished. That's true. Yeah. And then the other half was finished with a bar. And, you know, it was like, I don't know if they finished that in the 50s or 60s, but the support, you know, those metal support columns that are in a basement, they were painted black with like sort of like Fantasia esque imagery on it, like the dancing elephants and dice and martini glasses. And then they had like a tiki. They basically had like a wood paneling on the walls and they basically had a tiki lounge down there with a bar. You know, and they had all the Frangelica and different, you know, the Lemoncino and all that kind of stuff behind the bar. You know, eventually, at some point in the 60s, that was like used probably pretty, you know, pretty regularly by grandma and grandpa. And we should also say that grandma and grandpa lived with my our grandma's parents. Our, our granny and gramps also lived there in the house with them. So it was granny and gramps, grandma and grandpa, mom. And then later on, Aunt jo- uh, 10 years later, Aunt Joni and Aunt Carla came. So that's who all lived in the house. They all lived together in that house. And I don't know who was responsible for that basement, if that was more of a grandpa thing or Gramps, who was, I think we've talked about him a little bit on the show before, but Gramps was an MC at the Copacabana in the 60s and 70s. So he was very much in tune with that whole culture of, you know, the bars and the the dancing and the entertainment and all that kind of stuff. So it could have been his thing, too. So I don't know who it's interesting. I don't know who was responsible for that basement. Maybe they all were. Maybe they all did. You know, they had a lot of friends in the neighborhood. It was a very interesting neighborhood in Albertson because that was the really the telltale post World War Two neighborhood where people migrated from the from the city boroughs out to the country i think alberton is literally like 19 miles away from manhattan or something it's not far but it is long island although it is western long island and that's where they they migrated to to start their lives and start their families and um there was so the culture of that block was interesting because grandma and grandpa had a lot of dear friends in that area and even on that block it was very, it always, I always think about Mad Men. I, I always think about the 50s and 60s and think about it in relation to Grandma and Grandpa's neighborhood where everybody knew each other. It's not that everybody was friends, but everybody, almost everybody was friends and almost everybody was friendly at one point or another until there was some kind of falling out <laughs> with a family right, or two right. that fell out with right. them. But yeah, that's, so what else? What else do you remember about that house and that place? Yeah, so the what I remember about the finished side of the basement was that over time it became increasingly just full of stuff. It wasn't really I remember at some point it wasn't really used or usable anymore. It was just like full of boxes and and different things of this nature. And I remember spending a lot of time down there just poking around because there was like ancient bottles like you said of liquor and I, I was I didn't appreciate or even know what any of this stuff was, but I remember when grandma later moved out of the house, I think that was 2004 ish 
that I went back down there and like raided a bunch of stuff and like took like old bottles of beer and st- and like old bottles of Perrier that have been down there probably for 40 or 50 years and <laughs> whatever the case might be. And right. It's just really cool. Like there's you're right. There is a delineation down in that basement between if you're facing, I guess, the stairs, the left and the right. But the, I, there's just a bunch of stuff. I remember the big air conditioning unit on the far wall and the the add on and just the brown couches and granny's couch, her little chair where she sat and the, the massive wooden TV and the wooden kind of long kitchen table or dining dining table in the corner. It makes makes me kind of wonder before because you said that that room was always there for you and it was always there for me, obviously, too. Then it makes you wonder, like, where everyone was eating and like hanging out before this plate, this thing was built because the kitchen's so small. No one can eat in there. There's like a small like, kitchen or a breakfast table in there or whatever there yeah. was. Yeah. But That's otherwise, true. yeah, it makes you wonder kind of like where everyone was hanging out and where everyone was eating, I guess, just in that that living room. But then, of course, there's like the surrounding there's just all the surrounding areas, like not only the road, of course, the street that it's on and the school down the street that we used to play at and the backyard. I think I described when we were talking about barbecues at some point or something that just the specific like flora back there and these like really thick green leaved bushes that never flowered, but they were like very specific right. to that backyard. And they were like specked green flower or green leaves that were like darker in some parts and lighter in other parts. And I remember, I guess there was like a f- farmland back there at some point, but then they built like a wall bounds, which is a big, supermarket and like a big shopping center and the shopping center was like right on the other side of the fence on the, in the backyard and for some reason that shopping center I think in hindsight I didn't really realize it until I was older that it did some sort of weird ricochet thing with the sound coming off of the various streets around there where it sounded more urban in your immediate surroundings than it than it really was at night anyway as I recall like not with horns and everything but you could hear like trains in the distance and cars moving around and yeah highways in the distance and i always assumed it was everything like ricocheting off that concrete and in between that concrete and that fence but yeah just a lot of really awesome memories of just the house generally and obviously grandma and grandpa and you know a lot of dinners and and things of this nature but the unfortunate reality is that it was pretty short-lived for me compared to you you know yeah And I I also think that things were even before grandma and grandpa or I'm sorry, even before mom and dad got separated and and divorced, that process begins in early 1992. I mean, even before. So I was eight, even or seven, actually, I think, or eight, even before then, it seemed like things were changing a little bit because mom was working now full time by the late 80s and maybe we weren't making it out there as much anymore. And, you know, so I have these like really specific memories of being with people, but also a lot of really combined and confused memories of just moments that probably happened many times, like family dinner or whatever. That wasn't any specific moment per se, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. The reality. Yeah. And by, you know, grandma, if grandpa dies in early 97, he gets sick in the early to mid 90s. So I'm like 10, 11, 12. I'm 13 ish when he dies, I guess. And then grandma immediately basically goes senile and that's the end. I mean, so by the time I'm 12 or 13, my whole grandparent experience is over, you know, like completely. Yeah, and it's true. And it's then true, grandma true. dies when I'm in college. She died, you know, dies from this earth in college, but she had died mentally long ago, long before that. She had no idea who we were. In fact, one of my memories of grandma's being like the last time she was cogent, which was right after grandpa died. I do remember that. And 
and then the next time you see her in a month or two, it's just everything's starting to go downhill pretty quickly from there. So I always feel a little bit bad for myself in some respect. And I'm not saying that facetiously. I really do feel bad for myself in some respect that a lot of these things were taken away from me so prematurely that I never really got to develop like any meaningful relationship with like some sort of personal dynamic outside of just being a little kid. It never got to develop into like, what would have it been like if I knew grandma and grandpa and they were normal when I was 16 or 20? Right. You know, I don't know. Like, and what, what could I have learned from them? Or what? And I'm always also interested, like, what would what what, what have they have thought of me? They didn't really know me either. I mean, come to think of it. So it's like, it's kind of an unknown. It's un, unknown for both sides in a way. I'm not saying that we didn't, you know, we had a great relationship and I we loved each other very much and stuff, but I never got to develop that personality that you only really start to develop you know, your uniqueness and all that kind of stuff that really starts to shine when you become older. And by the time I became of that age, you know, when I was even in coming around to that nine, 10, 11, 12, I mean, at this point, grandpa is sick. Everyone's kind of yeah. very involved in that. When we're going home from long, or from New England to see grandma and grandpa on the weekends, it's to see him because he's sick and then he dies and then everything kind of gets, and you know, he starts to get real sick and then everything kind of starts to get taken over by that. So that's just kind of the reality of my entire life is this very these very ephemeral moments that were never really fully matured yeah. before for whatever reason the plug was pulled on them whether by nature or whether by other people's decisions so for for the many things that i remember the the massive crt in their living room and again <laughs> yes. the different complexions of all the beds and just going through all the, the bedrooms and just going all the, through all the different furniture and even the different furniture and the bathrooms and I don't know. I just have a lot of interesting memories, especially the upstairs bathroom and all of the the different f fix fixtures and the tiles and the color schemes and the aesthetics and loving loved going through like their medicine cabinets and their closets and stuff to like just look at shit, like look at products and old things. I was always interested in doing that there. Yeah, it was a time capsule. It really was. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, I, I, that's like probably one of my mo the most memorable things about it is just like you said, it's a time capsule, just like having kind of run, the run of the house to just do whatever you wanted to do in it. And I took full advantage of that for sure. And certainly poked my nose into every inch of the house at some point or another. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, it was so tempting. The garage, right? The garage was another whole character, right? right? You know, had had it had there was so much to explore. It is true, Kyle. It's, it's such a shame thinking about it from your perspective, because because they were. I think you were a victim. You were a victim of coming later, and I think you were also a victim of. It's interesting, actually, because you would think with grandma and grandpa being pretty young grandparents, that they would have been around longer. And it's a shame that we lost them so early because grandpa died when he was seventy-four, and by the time you know he died in ninety-seven, which we mentioned, but by the time they discovered his cancer. I think it had already spread to his lungs and then soon to his bones, I believe. So his cancer started, you know, he had colon cancer, which is a very prevalent form of cancer, as we all know. And then it spread and he went downhill really quick. And then to give you guys some perspective on, on then what happened was our grandma and grandpa celebrated their 50 year wedding anniversary in 1996 because they were married in 1946. My grandma, my grandma was born in 20 three no my grandma was born in 24 and my grandpa was born in 23 they were both from brooklyn my grandpa was from red hook 
and my grandma was from down in Bay Ridge. And it's a really charming story to how they met and how they got acquainted and everything like that. But they met and got married in 46, and then they were married and celebrated their 50 in 96. And my grandpa only died, I think, I remember, do you remember the party call on Long Island? It was out in Bayshore or Babylon on the water. And yeah, because we all got dressed up, right? Right. We all, we all had, got all dressed like, up. Everybody yeah. got dressed. It was beautiful. It was like, uh, I forget the name of that spot. Anthony's on the water or whatever it's called. It's a really elegant place. Aunt Joni and Uncle John might have got married there. I don't remember. Don't quote me on that. But they had a great party. Everybody came. It was beautiful. We went up in limos and everybody was in, you know, grandpa was in a tux and grandma looked beautiful and they had a great time. And grandpa was a great known dancer, which I'll talk about. He was a great, great dancer which figures into how my grandma and grandpa met, actually. But not five or six months later, he had passed. So, and my grandma, our grandma, went downhill very quickly. She, I don't even, now I was in Philly at the time. I was getting ready to graduate. I graduated a year later from college in 98. But, so I was very busy with school. So, unfortunately and sadly, I kind of wish I took the time off from school and just was, kind of hung out on Long Island for this time, but my our grandma went downhill very quick and slid into like a dementia state, which sort of became and evolved into pretty bad Alzheimer's. And she was pretty, she was in really bad shape. And I'd like to know, I should talk to Aunt Joni about this because she has a great memory for this type of thing. I'm sure Aunt Carla does too. But how long it took for grandma just to slide into this dementia state where she really wasn't remembering anything. She was um, really in bad shape. She had a, uh, we, we were able to get, you know, live in caretakers for her, but she would like run out in the middle of the night and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And she just slid into this state, which was so sad to watch happen to her because you know as I I'll I'll paint you a picture of the characters my grandparents were but so that's what happened so by the time Colin was even old enough to really appreciate having grant you know all the things that you take for granted when you're 10 9 10 11 you're not thinking about my grandparents aren't going to be here much longer or anything like that god forbid so even for me losing them in my 20s it was like you know there's so much regret there with just appreciating you know taking the time to appreciate having them there because you get so busy with life and college and your first job out of school and even high school or just being a kid. And you know, that that's the biggest regret for me was that you didn't get to know them that way because I remember how much they loved you because I was old enough to see that stuff. And you, it's funny that you came along when you did, because I think it was so cool for them because everybody was getting now a little older, especially me and Dana Although Allie was, how old was Allie when you were born? Seven? Six. 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 Or five, like going on six. Yeah. So it was like they had a baby again in their lives. And I remember them being like super joyful about that, you know, which is actually really, we all were. We were all like, what? Because it was such a shock. It's so funny that mom, and I, I believe it's true, but I'm not saying that mom's making up stories or anything, but I, it's so funny that she says like Colin was the only planned one. And I believe that. Because my parents were in a different way and a different financial state and everything by the time Colin came around. So I could see them planning, having a fourth kid. But it's so interesting because every, it, was so, it was such an exciting shot in the arm for the family because 
you know, it's like drudgery at a certain point. You know, it's like monotony. It's like everybody's the <laughs> yeah. same. It's like the same thing. You do the same thing. It's the holidays. It's family dinner. It's like the same people over and over again. So it's like this shot of life into the family. And I remember them both like relishing that. And that was a lot of fun. Not just with the baby, but all the things that come along with it. You know, helping mom decorate the the your bedroom and getting the toys and getting the stuffed animals and getting the books and changing tables and height chairs and all that kind of stuff. It was fun because we were mom and dad were way out of that by that point. But it is a shame that you personally didn't, didn't have the opportunity that we had, especially me and Dana, I guess that we had to get to know them because they were, you know, they would have, you know, I'm sure, well, I believe they are very proud of you looking down on you and very proud of you. But you know, I would like to introduce Grandma and Grandpa to the audience, Kyle, if you don't mind. Do you mind if we go in that direction? No, but yeah, please. No, please. Okay, please so do. let's talk about these characters that are Grandma and Grandpa for a second. I'll start with Grandma. She was, her name was Elizabeth, Elizabeth Doherty, right? But she was a half Irish, half Italian gal. Her mom, Ira Granny, who Grandma lived with, was Ann Toriello. So Ann Toriello and James Doherty got married, and Grandma was born. So half Irish, Irish, half Italian gal from Brooklyn. I'm already proud of her. You know, that sounds that sounds about right to me. That's and perfect. she's from Bay yeah, Ridge, perfect. from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, down there, and she was born in 24. And Grandma was always like almost nobody else I knew, especially for her age. She was very stylish. She loved trendy and fashionable clothes, and she was always up on the latest styles. And, of course, she was only, like, what, 47 or 48 when I was born. But, you know, I'm thinking of her, especially as a little kid, a six-year-old kid, say, you're thinking of her as an old lady, but she looks so different than other grandmas to me. You know, she was always, you know, always dressed in, like, the latest clothes. And she had a very, Colin, remember, she had a very, a feminine, but a very short and fashionable haircut. And that was really sort of fashion forward for women of her age at that time. And she loved to shop. She the Shopping was her favorite thing in life. And our, our Aunt Carla sort of inherited that from her mom, from grandma. She loved to shop malls, boutiques, flea markets, whatever, but especially flea markets. Grandma would take me on killer hours long shopping sprees to flea markets. You got to think Long Island. In the 80s, it was the heyday of the flea market. They were everywhere, indoor, outdoor, half indoor, half outdoor. We were all over Long Island and the boroughs going to flea markets, and I would be dragged along. And But it was always worth it to me because grandma would always spoil the hell out of me. you know. And I never, this is another thing with grandma and grandpa, and Colin could relate to this. I never, ever had to ask for one thing. I never had to say, grandma or grandpa, can I have this? They just did it. It, I was like the luckiest kid in the world, whether it was G.I. Joe or Star Wars or Smurfs. I went through my Smurf phase where I had to have all the Smurfs. They would always, so it was always worth it for me to go shopping with grandma because there was always treats involved. So I would suffer through it. And I remember Dana, she, I should mention Dana here in the same thing with grandma and Carla because they brought Dana along as a, as a big shopper because Dana, I don't know if Dana still feels that way about shopping, but she did when she was younger. They, she was sort of initiated into the shopping posse because mom mom never really liked it. And Aunt Joni hated it. So I remember, you know, Dana being sort of initiated into the shopping group. And 
You know, Grandma was just a very modern woman in general. There's a really interesting dynamic that I don't know if Colin will remember, but our grandma drove and our grandpa did not drive. He didn't have a driver's license and he never drove a car. So my grandma is the one that drove everywhere. And that was odd. You know, that's pretty odd. If you think about, it was probably the only couple I ever knew where the man of the relationship didn't drive. Now, I can remember my best friend John growing up, his grandma didn't drive. I remember that. The grandpa drove everywhere. The grandma didn't have a driver's license. But it was much more common. It was much more uncommon for the woman to drive, and she did all the driving. And I have a really funny memory. Grandma had... I, I'm not laughing at grandma's cataracts, but she always had bad cataracts and had cataract surgery and stuff. And she couldn't drive <laughs> I'm at night. I'm not laughing at grandma's cataracts. <laughs> I'm not going, grandma, I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at your cataracts. But she couldn't. I remember as she got older, probably by the, I was to, by the time I was like Graydon's age, probably by the time I was, well, at least Lily's age and Declan's age, like 12, 14, she really couldn't drive at night. And she had trouble with her blind spots. So. I remember what what it had to be was grandpa would have to get her, like merge her onto the expressway. Grandpa would have to merge her into traffic because she couldn't see in her blind spots, especially over her left. So grandpa would be like, okay, not yet, not yet. Okay, go. And like he would have to drive. He would have to be like her wingman and her navigator. And it was terrifying because I remember as a kid being like, this is great. We're merging onto the expressway. She can't see like what it was never bad. She always drove fine. I drove slow enough and everything like that. But I always remember being like, wow, they have to drive as like a team. And I always thought that was kind of cute too. Kind of an interesting thing. And grandma was just very, she always seemed very young at heart to me. She always seemed very youthful. She was fun. She was energetic and she was very active. She was really a strong sort of contrast to me from a lot of my friend's grandparents. My friend Tommy G, the honorary fourth member of Knockback after PJ, he had a really cool, he had really cool grandparents too. And I remember his grandma being very similar to grandma, but she was the only one, you know, grandma just liked to be out. She liked to be busy. She liked to be out and about doing things. And it's not that she also, she had a domesticity to her too. Like she was domestic. She could cook, she could clean and all that, but she would just rather not, you know? And also don't forget, she had her mom living with her and my granny was the consummate Italian grandmother, like lifting the 300 pound furniture to vacuum underneath it every day, cooking, <laughs> amazing cook. Like my grandma had that built into her, her lifestyle to her home you know, to, to the way it was. So she didn't have to do that. She, she was able to be sort of do what she wanted to do. And the other thing, notable thing about grandma is she worked all the way back from the fifties. She was in the workplace. Grandpa worked too, but so did grandma. And she, even when she had kids, she worked, which was less common as it is nowadays. And she really loved that. She really loved having that sort of life work home balance. And I remember her, always seeming like very happy and very balanced person because she was true to herself. She did what she wanted to do. And she was always, when she was in the home and she was cooking for us or barbecuing for us or helping granny with Sunday dinner, or, you know, I remember her cleaning. I remember her cleaning the bathrooms. I remember her doing everything. We were close to them and we stayed there a lot of nights too. And we stayed over. We spent a lot, a lot of time there. She had all those domestic skills and that domestic propensity to do those things but she was just 
ahead of the curve as far as like, I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to go shopping for a few hours. I'm going to go to the florist. I'm going to, I'll do the food shopping, but then I'm going to go to the salon or, you know, whatever it was. Like she really had it going on with that. She always seemed like she always had a spring in her step. She, like she was 20 years younger than she really was. And I always really loved that about her and appreciated it about her. She always, she never seemed tired. She was always ready to go. You know, she would take us out. She would take us to a really cool place. Kyle, do you remember McGinnis's in Garden City? I don't think so, no. It was like an early Chuck E. Cheese. It was probably closed down. God, it was probably closed down by the mid-80s. But it was a place where you could go, you know, there was little rides, like a little Chuck E. Cheese type thing. It was like half indoor and half outdoor. Maybe they had skee-ball and like primitive arcade games and stuff. She was always down to do those things. Take us to McGinnis's. Take us to the pool. Take us to the schoolyard. You know, she was always, she wasn't the type to get down on the floor and play with you. She wasn't that type. But she would dote on you. You know, she would wait on you hand and foot. She would give you everything. And she was, you know, like we said in the beginning of the show, she was always happy, truly with all her heart, happy to have us and happy to see us and sad when we were leaving. You know, and you you always know that. Even as a kid, you have that bullshit meter. You know, you know the adults that really don't care. It's not that the adults don't like you, but like, you know, those adults that are just sort of apathetic or don't really care or just acting lovey-dovey or come give Aunt Rose a kiss on the cheek, you know, type of thing to the ones that are authentically, that authentically adore you. And that's what I got from grandma. You know, that was really who she was. I think her family was a big part of who she was and she wore that on her sleeve. And, you know, that's, that's her, you know, that's her really in a nutshell. Grandma, mom was just telling me the different jobs that grandma did throughout the years. But I remember her and Colin remember she was a waitress in the birdcage, which was that renowned restaurant inside of Lord and Taylor stores all through the sixties and seventies, probably starting in the fifties, sixties and seventies. It was like, you know, Lord and Taylor being that luxury higher end department store, especially back then in its heyday, she was a waitress at the birdcage. So she would, that was, and she enjoyed it. You know, she, that's, and I think that job always spoke to her level of energy and her desire to be a breadwinner also, and just who she was. She was very sociable. She was very trendy. She was very, she, she was great at conversation. She loved to talk. She loved to hobnob and she just loved all those social aspects of just being, you know, she was just such a cool lady. She always seemed so ahead of the, ahead of the times to me. Now, Kyle, what do you remember about grandma from your perspective coming much later than I did? 84, you know, this is already halfway through the 80s almost. Yeah, she was. Um, well, it's funny you brought up the car then because I remember that so well that grandpa didn't drive and that was. That's like the one thing I've always used in my mind as an excuse as to why I don't drive. Well, Grandpa didn't drive. I, don't have to drive. <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> he did it in a much more inconvenient era than than I ever did it. Although he lived right down the street from a train station. He didn't have to really bother anybody to get around, which I don't either. So that's kind of nice. But it, it's funny you brought that up only because I remember I don't know what she drove earlier, but I remember her gray Buick pretty well. Yeah. Right. She drove like a, a, a gray Buick. I guess, I don't know what you call that. A sedan of some sort. A LeSabre or something. Maybe it was a Le- yeah something of that yeah, nature something like that. And it's funny because I, I actually wrote a few things down in my in my notes here. There are a few items I actually have 
that she gave me that I remember specifically. And, oh, and two things this. that stand out to me are G.I. Joe stuff. When you had mentioned that earlier, I remember going to Toys R Us with her like very vividly. I don't know why I remember this particular day so well, but she bought me Sub-Zero, the G.I. Joe Sub-Zero, and then the Dictator, which is a vehicle that came with a enemy called the Overlord, which was probably supposed to be Cobra Commander. So the assumption is and then they repainted oh, him. Oh, that's but so cool that you remember that. Hence the name, I guess, the Dictator, the name of the vehicle. But I remember that day really well because after that, we went to like some sort of basketball court hoop like area and played or I did. I don't know who was there, but played basketball like Uncle Mike and hung out with people in this very Queensish type, you know, like the the basketball courts with like six hoops and in, in, enclosed. And I know gate, what you're talking the about chain like fence, you yes. know, and the chain hoops and everything. So. I don't know why I remember that day in particular, but I was mentioning to Aunt Carla actually when I was at mom's for Thanksgiving, we were all cooking it well, they were cooking and hanging out and we were getting all the food on the table. And for some reason, the carrot dish that everyone makes, like just the sweet carrots or whatever. Yeah. Reminds oh, yeah. me of her. I don't know if that was just like a dish she made or something or if that's like I helped her make that or something. That's something that reminded me or reminds me of her. And then. Drinking coffee reminds me of her too. Oh, um, yeah. Just because I'm not a co- so I'm not a coffee fan at all, and uh, I like like Irish coffee after dinner sometimes, and I like like espresso every once in a while. But I'm not a coffee drinker. But I remember that grandma used to let me drink coffee at starting at like a certain age, whatever I was six <laughs> or seven, and I remember and I mentioned this on the past, like you using like the windmill spoon that they had this like very specific spoon that they use in this like really cool old sugar good call jar sugar container and so i have these like weird memories of just sitting around like kind of just hanging out i guess when dinner was done or people were kind of hanging out and and relaxing and and chatting it up or whatever and and it's a lot of the food being fed to me too and and something that reminds me of her to this day is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on like in a very specific configuration where the smell and taste of them still bring me to that era. And I think I've described it in the past. It's like Wonder Bread and then like Skippy or Jif peanut butter, but then Welch's grape jelly. And just the way just the way she made it. I don't know what it was about it where it tasted a very specific way. And then we've laughed about this in the past with just endless amounts of caffeine free Coca-Cola that would like flow in, in and out of that house for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why it was like the, the, the old like gold and red labeled always, always. caffeine free coke. I don't know why. And again, we've, we've joked around this in the past where I'm like, I'm not even sure I've ever been anywhere else really where someone's had this <laughs> nonetheless, like on a constant basis and never refrigerated always on the counter. Yeah. Always on the counter. And I remember getting it off of the basement stairs like yes. they would leave it on like the basement stairs and you would go and grab oh, it. Dude, good call. That's right. Yeah. So like you'd go get the new bottle off the basement stairs or whatever. Ah, and that's great. <laughs> and the other thing I remember is that there was a wall bounds, like we've said, right, which is a supermarket now defunct down the street from their house. And I remember going there to get things for her when they were cooking. Like I would go with Allie or someone like you would be dispatched basically to go get something that someone had forgotten. And so I remember taking that walk often. Uh, to go down there and then trying to like, you know, get there was like at that time, that was a pretty vibrant shopping center. So there was like other stores in there of interest and and all of that, trying to kind of get something for free out of your trip down there, <laughs> as it were. But yeah, she was I remember her being, you know, that's what I remember. Well, that's why I rather that I think it's so sad that she fell apart so quickly, because you're right. She was a 
boisterous and fun and active and energetic woman until she just suddenly wasn't anymore. And um, yeah, so that's kind of like my, my big remembrances of her. A lot of dinners and a lot, you know, she was a sweet woman. And yeah, just b- being fed and, and all of that kind of stuff, which I think a lot of people would relate to their grandparents, of course. Yeah, food. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I had to look up that park where you're playing basketball. It's it's Albertson Memorial Park. I spent a lot of time there and I actually always forget about that place because I grew up a lot, you know, playing with Uncle Mike in that park basketball. They had shuffleboard. That was a really cool park. You and I should go there one day and just reminisce because it looks I'm looking at pictures of it right now. And it looks really the same as I remember. So that that's that's cool. And I love I'm super jealous that you have a memory of going to Toys R Us with Grandma because I never remember going to Toys R Us with her. We had, which kind of preceded you mostly, Kyle. I think it was going downhill by the time we had talked about it a couple of shows ago. We had the toy store, the independent toy store in Williston Park near Dad's house called Big D, which was an amazing toy store. And that's where I did all my shopping with grandma. So although Big D was really cool, I don't remember ever going to Toys R Us with grandma. So that's a cool, that's a jealousy inducing memory for me with, with, uh, with you. I'm so glad you remember her buying you something like that because I love the little, you got, you know, it's, it's knockback. We got to have some kind of nerd culture related memories with grandma. You know, my very earliest memory of her, which is so crazy because you were talking about this earlier. Like you can't, there's no way to generate memories or keep them in a specific order or sort of a lot line them up in chronological order because what you remember is random. And I have this very random memory that I've always had as long back as I can remember, Kyle, of food shopping with grandma. And for some reason, it was at the A&P, the old A&P down in, I guess what's considered Rosalind Heights, like a little further along Willis Avenue, going towards the parkway and before you get into Rosalind, it's like Rosalind Heights over there. And I must've been older. I had to be at least three, but I might've been four or even five. And I, cause I was walking around. I wasn't like in the, in a stroller or in the shopping cart, sitting in the shopping cart. And grandma, this, this really, this memory will make you laugh. Cause be like, of course, cause it's Dagan. She brought me, Fruit Brute cereal, which is like that early monster cereal. You know, it was like Frankenberry, Boob, uh, Count Chocula. And I think Fruit, I don't even know. Fruit Brute might even precede Booberry, but Fruit Brute cereal. And I remember being completely mesmerized with the box when I was a kid. You know, I was just carrying it around with me. I was looking at this cartoon character and she bought it for me. And of course, it's my earliest memory. It's like it's a cartoon character in breakfast cereal. Like that's pretty believable. It's like Dagan's earliest memory of something. But it's funny because I I was like, you know what? You have to go back and just see if this memory is accurate. So just to see what kind of research you could do. And sure enough, Fruit Brute came out in '74 and was discontinued in '82. So it checks out that this could have been like around '77, '76 through '78 at some point. That's my very first memory of her. And you had talked about their console, their giant console TV earlier. My very first memory of Grandpa, I was probably five, was laying on the couch with him in his typical position. Like he would lay on his back with his feet towards the TV and watching Bugs Bunny with him. And he was like holding me in one arm and I was laying next to him on the couch. 
on that enormous console TV, which is like, of course, like if you guys are old enough to remember, it was like essentially this gigantic, impossibly heavy, you know, impressive, ornate wooden furniture with a television jammed inside of it that like people just decorated like a table, but there was a TV in it. And maybe you had a very primitive remote control. And I remembered their specific TV and I priced it. (laughs) Dude, this is crazy. (laughs) Are you ready for this? So in 1983, a typical 25 inch console TV, which is a diagonal screen, which is a big one would go for in the area of $500. I remember this specific Zenith TV they had, and I was able to track it because of the remote control. It was like one of those really early remote controls. It was like most remote controls had like five or six buttons at that time, but this also had number buttons, which was like really crazy for the time period. So it had like the number zero through nine or whatever. It was the TV they had was 1200 It cost $1,200. And I was like, what? $1,200 back then? That's crazy. But if yeah, you it's think an about it, right? It's like this giant wooden piece of furniture. You know? It's, cra- it's crazy. I, that, those TVs, I don't know. I, I kind of miss them. They were such a, they were, they're so nostalgic for me. You know? Yeah, they're awesome. They're, I mean, we had one, too, in our Marie Courthouse that wasn't quite like that, but another ridiculously heavy wooden boxed TV that was like kind of on this little spinner where you can kind of like move it. Yeah, you could swivel back and forth or whatever, like pivot it. And yeah, it's just it's just crazy. Like I remember when mom bought a uh, she bought like a Sony Trinitron in like 1999 or something like that, like a really beautiful TV. And it was so heavy that you had to like drill something into the wall and then seatbelt it in to this thing in the back. So it like wouldn't tip forward and stuff like that. Like these TVs were so heavy oh my God, and were so. so I mean, it was ridiculous. It's just so funny how like light TVs are today and like how any like an old woman can move a TV by herself now. It's so easy. But they were so they were hundreds and hundreds of pounds. These things. It was a, a different time in a different era for sure. Absolutely. So, Dig. Yeah. Talk a little bit about you. You described grandma. So before we get into the audience questions, which I think will allow us to kind of talk a little bit more about all these things. Talk to us a little bit about uh, your grandpa memories. Frame that character for everybody. OK, so grandpa. Grandpa was known as Alessandro Ruggiero. Now, he sort of Americanized his name, and I don't know the story behind it, but he was born Alessandro, but he was known as Alexander. So somehow in there, it got changed, and I wish I asked mom the story behind that because I've long kind of wondered about the details. Even I don't even know if she would know, but he was Alexander, and everyone called him Allie. So... One thing I should say is everyone called my grandma and grandpa Betty and Allie because it was it was Elizabeth and Alexander. So they were Betty and Allie. And I never heard anyone call him Alexander, but it was on his driver's license. And my son, I took my, you know, that name from my son's middle name. We took a, my son's grade in Alexander. So it was nice to be able to incorporate that into my kid's namesake. And, you know, grandpa was such... There's so much about grandpa similar to grandma in the personality and just the aesthetic because grandpa, again, he was born in 23 and he's from Red Hook, Brooklyn. And, you know, he is the he's thoroughly Italian, comes from a very Italian family. He's through and through Italian and through and through. I think about grandpa as a through and through New Yorker, but he was 
more, and I wrote this down because it really struck uh, struck a chord with me when I thought of it. He was more Gene Kelly and Cary Grant than Robert De Niro. He was, mm. you know, he was very handsome. He was very charming. He was very charismatic. He had a great smile. And I just remember him, I just remember the way he carried himself, even the dating back all the way to when I was a little boy. He was a great conversationalist. He was very polite. I don't remember him ever saying a bad thing about anybody. He was just a consummate gentleman. He was very down to earth. He was very fair. And he was just a very kind man. And I, what, I, what strikes me, I mean, all the people that we grow up with when we're kids, right, and we're, we're sort of admiring the people that we grew up with or observing them. It was how, what struck me with grandpa, especially him, was that everybody seemed to like him. Everybody seemed to love him. I don't remember, you know, whether it was the people that worked for him at the salon or family or neighbors on his block or even neighbors on our blocks growing up in Medford and Brookhaven. Everybody loved him. Everybody was happy to see him and give him hugs You know, I remember, you know, like even Tommy's parents were always happy to see grandpa. Like, how did they even get to know grandpa? You know, I remember Tommy's mom giving grandpa hugs every time. It's it's like, how did she even get to know grandpa? It's weird, you know? So, (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) we don't want to to think anything off color now about grandpa. (laughs) Oh my God. Wait a second. How did Christian Akio know Grandpa? <laughs> <laughs> Just put it all together now. Now it's all coming together. Oh, poor Grandpa. But, you know, again, he was the guy. He really, was, uh, looking back, he was the adult male that I spent most of my time with. And he taught. He spent a lot of time with me, and he took a lot of care with me, and he taught me a lot. And I remember one thing that really struck me as I was writing my memories for the episode was that I remember those earlier years of going on the train with him and going out to eat at like the, um, it wasn't really a diner. It wasn't really a greasy spoon. It was more of a, I don't know what you would call it. Some kind of eatery across the street or across the street ish from the salon that he owned in Manhattan. And, you know, taking me out to eat and taking me, I remember going to the circus and going later on going to ball games, especially the ball games more with grandma and aunt Joni. But it evolved as I got older and I got into that awkward age of like 11, 12, 13, like where Lilia and Declan are now. And it evolved because what he did later then was he took me to the movies and he took me to see, you know, he, he would talk about the movies with me. And it wasn't just animated movies. I know I, one thing I should say to you guys right now is my first monologue for the new show that we're doing is about my genesis with art largely about my genesis with art with my grandpa so i'm not going to talk about a lot that in this episode because i want to go into that with that little three or four minute piece but he it wasn't just about him bringing me along with the art he took me to see movies he took me to see you know it was more creativity talking about issues talking about like you know i remember him getting early advice like with girl stuff from him it wasn't we didn't get into like high school with like sex stuff but we talked about girls and you know girlfriends and you know that type of thing and treating women with respect i remember him having those conversations with me which was really cool and he the biggest thing that i ever got from him which he was very very adamant about was don't waste your talent 
he was really, that was like his call line for me. And a lot of that plays into the fact that we talked about grandpa before, but he was very creative and he was very artistic. He was a great draftsman. He loved to draw and paint. It was really his passion. But for whatever reason, whatever transpired with his life, he was in the Air Force and then later on had a family and for whatever reason ended up becoming a beautician and life led him in that direction. He owned his own salon and he was a successful businessman and he did very well. But I think there were, and I never got a chance to have this conversation with him. So I'm guessing, but I would venture to guess that he had some sorts of regret about not going into art for a living, whether that was, whether he saw that as graphic design or advertising or cartooning or animation or illustration, whatever he thought, he loved all those things. But I think he had really maybe deep-seated regrets about not taking his life in that direction. And I think he didn't want the same thing for me. You know, he saw that I loved to draw. He saw, saw that I loved art and cartoons. And later on, he was around for me getting into anime. And I remember sitting him down and watching anime with him and him being sort of perplexed by it, but being patient with it and stuff, which was really, those are really fond memories for me later on in my teens. But he was very supportive and he was always, always saying that to me. And I remember him saying that to me. He was very concerned I went through a thing, not to get sidetracked, but I went through a thing in college where I left school for a little while. I started in 94 and I dropped out for a little while. I just needed, I was just having a hard time. I broke up with my longtime girlfriend at that point. I was a little punk, you know, like I didn't know what was going on and I dropped out and grandpa was very nervous about it. And he was, I remember not talking to him that much when I got to Philly, sort of falling out of touch with him and grandma and being busy with school and just being a little further away now and not having the same sort of rapport or the same kind of communication as we normally had. But when that happened, when I dropped out and I was just working, I was working retail, I was working, I was waiting tables, I was managing the skate shop for a little while, Sub-Zero for a little while. But he was really adamant about calling me a lot and saying like, what are you doing? Like, get, you got to, what, what do you need? Like, let's work out the financial aid, the loan, whatever you need. Let's, let's get you back, you into, back you into school because, you know, I don't want you, I don't want to see you waste your talent. He was really, really adamant about that. And that's one of my biggest memories for him, you know, of him, especially later on for me and why I think I was so sort of tenacious once I got back into school and I, I had such tunnel vision for, Finishing school and being successful was really largely fed by his pushing and his loving, you know, they were, it was loving pushing, but it was pushing. And I think I give, you know, I give him a lot of credit for that. And Kyle, this will be funny for you. Like he was very elegant, always very stylish, very well-dressed. And if I have to translate for our listeners, for you guys about, sort of conveying the aesthetic of how he looked. He dressed a lot like Heath Heathcliff Huxtable in the Cosby show. You know, he wore the slacks <laughs> yeah. and like the sort like the stylish but sort of um trendy-ish but also a little bit wild and out there sweaters that were maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit like offbeat that he added to the style but also mixed with you know, those the, those very Italian touches of like the gold rings. He wore a gold chain with the crucifix. 
He was very, you know, he was very religious. So was grandma. And, you know, so I, I always think of him that way. You know, the earth colored sweaters and the slacks and always very well dressed and always had the, you know, always had the, the billfold in his pocket. And he was the one who taught me how to like keep my cash with the ones on the outside. You always keep your cash like this. He's very adamant about it. You know, that old, always have a pocket full of money, didn't carry a wallet. It was just like the money clip and, you know, the coins in the other pocket. Very old school, you know, gentleman, loved to dance, you know, very, um, kind of seemed like a renaissance man to me a little bit. He loved art. He loved to dance. Later on, he really enjoyed woodworking. He loved Christmas. You know, he loved watching like ice skating and the ballet on TV. He was really interesting because he was another figure in our lives that wasn't really into sports. Like he didn't really get into, grandma was really like, you you remember this Kyle, like she was a jilted Brooklyn Dodgers fan. When they left yeah, so for she LA, she Mets switched fan. over to the Mets. And, you know, really still, like, to her dying day, really angry at the Dodgers. But Grandpa was not a sports guy. You know, he was much more into the arts. And he was such an interesting guy for me because I didn't know anyone even close to that age that had those similar interests. You know, and I talk about him watching Bob Ross on TV. Like, it's a that was his sport. You know, that's who he got mad at. That's who he would yell at and call him a son of a bitch and be like, you know, the, the whole Bob Ross thing with Grandpa was so funny because... He watched Bob Ross for years. You know, here's this guy who has this heavy-handed landscape painting style. He like globs on swaths of paint. Sometimes he's painting with like a broad brush or a, he's he's glopping the paint on with a palette knife. He has his style. You know, he's a very heavy-handed artist. I don't know why Grandpa just automatically thought that, you know, Bob Ross was going to become somehow Matisse over the course of, you know, an episode of the show, because he would always get mad when Bob Ross took the painting too far. Like grandpa just wanted right. to see the underpainting. That was his, that was his style. You know, he didn't want it to be, he didn't want to go further than that. So it was always really funny to me. He's like, grandpa, what do you expect? You've been watching this guy for like seven years. He's always, it's always going to come out like that. What are you getting upset about? You know, you're taking it too far. You know, of course, like you love it in the first three minutes. And then he's like, I just remember so much of him yelling at the TV. It was such a, such a funny memory. And you know, that head of hair, you know, our grandpa had like the ultimate game show host head of hair till his dying day. Like he did not, there was no risk. There was no fear of this man balding. He was never going to bald. He had like the quaffed hair, you know, always in perfectly in place and he was just so handsome and elegant. And, you know, that's what I remember about him was like the love that he sort of imbued from everybody. He just, everyone just really loved him. Everybody just really, really wanted to be around him. And I, I, I hope that I was able, I don't think I got even a quarter of grandpa's sort of that magnanimous charisma and all that kind of stuff. But I hope that, you know, he sort of rubbed off a little bit on me. Now, what do you? What about you, Kyle? Tell me about Grandpa from your perspective. What do you remember the best? Well, it's funny because you mentioned watching TV with him, and just the I wrote down in my notes here the the L shaped con- configuration of the couches in oh, their sure. living room, and how he would always lay on the one parallel to the window. And the shows I remember watching with him, I guess as I got a little older, were Wheel of Fortune, and I guess Jeopardy would be there too. But Wheel of Fortune in particular 
was the TV show I remember watching with him and he was really into that or whatever. But there's a memory. I have a very specific weird memory of him, too, because you're talking about all these just random things that you remember that aren't really necessarily in order of their importance or whatever or, or their resonance in your life, which is always weird. It's so strange that you just remember these these random things, these one off things. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the random stuff. But I remember him buying me this dartboard, but it was like one of those dartboards where you use like it's like a sticky thing on the end of it. Like, yeah, instead sure. of a real dart or whatever for right, like children. Right. And I remember him like bringing it to our house and record and then screwing it into one of my closet doors. I had two closets in my bedroom as a kid for some reason. I have no idea why. And I remember him yeah, sitting and then sitting on the edge of the bed with me and throwing them and playing with me or whatever. And, and for some reason, that's like a memory I have uh, an early memory. I mean, that's, that was pre divorce uh, memory of, of grandpa. But actually, in hindsight, what I remember most is how I just wasn't smart enough or keen enough to realize how sick he was until and, and he did a really good job of hiding it. And like you said, and like our dad has said, like he was really pretty adamant about not going to the doctor and letting things go. And and obviously it got out of hand by the time he went to the doctor. It was just too late to do anything for him. But that's what I remember the most is that it didn't never really seemed with him that anything was wrong until it was, you know, terminal and it was almost over at that point in his life. But I have to say, too, the other thing I wrote in my notes that reminded me of him and grandma to an extent is just getting for some reason, the $50 bill reminds me of them still <sighs> to this day. And the $50 bill, if you're especially if you're not American, you wouldn't know is like kind of a peculiar and weird bill. It's not a bill that's like you really use very much. You don't really encounter it very much. You, we use a lot of ones, fives, tens, twenties and hundreds. Right. And so the 50, it's not quite like the $2 bill or the $1 coin. These things like you never see. But the $50 bill is not something you often run into. And I just remember getting $50 bills from them, whether it was for your birthday or Easter or whatever the case, Christmas. Maybe it wasn't Christmas because they would get us toys. But whatever it was, the, the, the image of Grant on that, of Ulysses Grant on that bill still just reminds me of them. It was like a very unique thing to get from them that reminded me of them. It was a very grandparent ish thing for me that's I don't know awesome if that were, that's that, a great that memory at all no that's huge i mean first of all when i went to see you're you are not quite old enough to probably remember all these times but <laughs> when, this is a really funny grandma and grandpa memory there was always a thing with grandma and grandpa and mom and dad which i always thought was very cute and it really tickles me to think about it in retrospect because mom and dad were awesome parents like we love them so much but grandma and grandpa like spoiled the shit out of us it on they were and they were completely unembarrassed about it you know they just made no bones about it that's the way it was going to be and shut the hell up and they would tell you know i, I forgot to talk about grandma's sarcasm she was really sarc she was really cute and very sarcastic and she had a very sarcastic sort of sensibility and sense of humor and there was always a really cute dynamic with mom and dad and grandma and grandpa where it was like, well, you know, we'd be there for 10 minutes and then grandma would be like, well, I'm taking the kids to the big D. And then mom would be like, mom, you don't need to do that. And grandma would be like, shut the hell up. You know, this is, I'm, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing whatever I'm going to do. I'm doing whatever I want to do. You be quiet or whatever, you know, type of thing. And they would say the same thing to dad and mom and dad would sort of like smile and like acquiesce and not, not fight back. And that was always a cute thing. It was like, and it always let me know that grandma and grandpa were really the boss. 
which was especially telling being around dad that dad let somebody else be the boss because that was a pretty strict disciplinarian, especially when Dana and I were little. So the fact that dad sort of bowed down to grandma and grandpa's reign, I always thought was really a fun thing. And it was like they couldn't really say anything about it. But the one thing they always did when I first came in that house was one of them would slip a $20 bill into my pocket. Like they would be like, hey, what's going on? And as they were hugging me and kissing me, they would just put a $20 bill in my front pocket before mom and dad could even say anything or knew anything. It was like, you know, it was like, uh, I don't know, like Boardwalk Empire, like shoving bills in a right. judge's pocket or a cop's pocket. It was like that. You know, it was like, and it was, and if they didn't do it on the way in, they did it on the way out. And I, mom and dad knew, you know what I mean? They're not stupid, but they never said anything. So it was always like this ruse that everybody was in on that I always thought was really, and I didn't know that they knew as, as a kid. But, you know, later on the car ride home, it would be like, well, you know, it'd be like a lull in conversation and it'd be all quiet. And all of a sudden mom would be like, well, how, do, how much did grandma give you? <laughs> you know, type of thing. Right. So I always, it's funny that you bring that up because I always remember that being a thing. But I have to say, I'm a little jealous because I never got the 50. I don't think I ever got the 50. Definitely. Got oh, the yeah, 20. I definitely. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. T- yeah. 50s were was a thing. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Um, who knows how many times I might have been just been a handful of times, but that's a very specific memory for me that's because i never you you really don't encounter 50 dollars bill i mean to this day you have to go out of your way to get a 50 dollars bill i don't know when you're where you're really going to get one unless you go to the bank or something so it's just an interesting thing that that i still connect to them from being a kid or whatever yeah i love that i love it kyle i want to coin something for the show because i i had remembered and i think you'll remember this but tell me if you don't grandpa you know as we talked about really elegant very well spoken he didn't have a you know was really a gentleman. He didn't have a potty mouth at all. But when he did curse, do you remember the one thing that he did say, the expression that he used, which I never heard anybody else use before? Maybe I don't, I don't think so. All right. He used to say, your sister's ass. So it was <laughs> like, he would be like, your sister's ass. Like if something broke or something, he dropped something or one of his Christmas ornaments fell off the tree or you know, something fell, a can fell on his foot, whatever it was, he'd be like, your sister's ass. And the only other person I know that says it I think mom says it, but Aunt Joni coined the phrase too. Like Aunt Joni definitely turns that phrase as well. So I think we got to maybe use your sister's ass. <laughs> your sister's ass. Yeah, all right. It's I'm a, down. That's fine. It's That's original. Perfect. As far as I know, it's a Ruggiero original. It's, an, it's a Ruggiero. It's not a bastardized Italian word like pish, pish do or anything like that. <laughs> your sister's ass. You have sisters. <laughs> it's a little heinous, but we can yeah, we can go there if it's you pretty, want. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad, it's pretty but heinous, it's so original but... to our family, you know. All right, Dave, we've been going for about two hours, so I want to include some of the audience comments and questions here, and this will allow us to kind of flesh out anything we never got a chance to talk about. Okay. As we reach towards near the end of our show for this week. Jason G. Bass, and this is all one word, so I don't know what if it's Jason Bass or Jason G. Bass, like hmm. G is the middle name, like maybe it's Gerard, which is our dad's name. He I says, like- greetings, the brother Moriarty, my or brothers Moriarty. My question is simple. Were your grandparents as horrible to you as mine were when it came no. to disciplining you as youngsters? <gasps> my grandmother would often find this snack. Now, I don't know if you're trying to just make fun of that other comment we got like a long time ago, but here's what he says. He says, my grandmother would often find the snappiest branch of a tree and use it as a physical problem solver if you catch my drift. But she's older now and I could probably take her. 
besides the point, any funny or interesting stories between you that involved getting disciplined? I, I mean, to Dagan's point, you might remember, well, because you have that one story about grandpa getting mad at you, but yeah, I'll tell you, I don't that. remember ever having any sort of conflict with our grandparents. So that wasn't a problem for us. No, they were not. I mean, I think, you know, I used to, you know, I made a joke at the, at the top of the show where I said I thought it was like horrifying to have like a mean grandpa grandparent and i remember kids in our lives growing up i won't say who they are that had you know sort of those bitter you know mean sort of you know they were sort of cantankerous old people that you know were just angry and would discipline their grandkids and stuff and grant and helene's to to my point helene's grandma her mom's mom was not Warm. She wasn't like that, but she wasn't the warm and fuzzy grandparent. And I was, I was always, I met her. She died a couple of years after Helene and I got together. But she, I was always sad for Helene that she didn't have that type of grandparent, that she didn't have that type of warm and fuzzy relationship with a grandma. Because, like I said, I, I think we were in that fortunate position where we had two parents. Our grandparents weren't in the position. They w- didn't watch us. It wasn't a daycare situation where both parents worked. We had a stay-at-home mom. So I think we were really fortunate to be in the position where we didn't have grandparents as disciplinarians. They were, you know, it's that type of thing where the grandparents are around for the parties and the barbecues and the get-togethers and the holidays and the fun times. And by the time anybody's losing patience or getting cabin fever or starting to fight, they're out. So they were never really in that position. But also, they really weren't in... They really... We were lucky. They didn't really have that type of personality. The one time... I'll never forget as long as I lived that my grandpa... I mean, they never got... They never got impatient. Never anything. But... I remember walking into grandma and grandpa's house. We had just gotten there. I was like 15 or 16 years old. And we were walking down the hallway into the house. We had just gotten in. And I must have been fighting with mom, arguing with her about something as I came in. And mom was in front of grandpa. And then it was grandpa. And I was behind grandpa. And we were walking into the kitchen from the hallway, the narrow hallway. And I said something. And grandpa turned around and said, if you say one more word, I'm going to give you a smack. And he wasn't kidding around. And I was, dude, I was fucking, I, I'm not exact. I was devastated. I was like crestfallen. I remember, I remember the exact moment. I remember it so well. I remember feeling it so well. I was like so gutted by it that I was behaving in a way that my grandpa had to say something to discipline me. Cause it was like, I went 16 years without that ever happening one time. And you know what? It happened once. It probably literally took me like weeks to get over it. I, I I was a sensitive kid also, but, and it never happened again because I would never let it happen again because the feeling was so awful for me. So we were just lucky. I think we were just really lucky, you know? Yeah, we probably were in that regard for sure. Uh, let's see here. I like this one. Dominic Brandt wrote into us. He says, I have a lot of fond memories of time spent with my grandparents, including big family get togethers, grandma's delicious cooking, and of course, getting spoiled with a trip to the store for a new toy or video game. Nice. But one thing that will always stick out to me is my grandma, grandma telling me the juicy gossip about the rest of the family when I was a kid. <laughs> some of it major, some of it petty and insignificant. <laughs> Did you two have any experience with one of your grandparents having loose lips? Was this uh, a thing that you were, were our grandparents ever gossiping about other people? I don't really. I, I'm not old enough to recall. No. Any of that. I mean, I think sometimes if things got animated between mom and our aunts and grandma, maybe the neighbors, like the close neighbors that were like family, like Aunt Lee and Mary Hassel. And all. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. <laughs> 
But yeah, no, never, you know, you know, if you heard something while the adults were having coffee and everything like that, it would be one thing. But, you know, for the most part, it wasn't, they weren't like that. You know, I, I, I'm sure they did that amongst themselves, but never with the kids. Not that I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. Sure, 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 <laughs> Paul Waltz wrote into us and he said, hey, this topic is near and dear to me. Contrary to popular belief, popular belief, I'm actually named after my grandpa Paul and not after Paul Wall, the people's <laughs> champ with a mouth shining like a disco ball. Well, I, I'm the one who told you that maybe maybe you were named after Paul Wall, but apparently not. He says, anyway, how often did you both get to spend time with your grandparents growing up? But he, we talked about that, but he asks here, did your grandparents take you on trips? When you were uh, when without your parents, when you were young, I don't know that I ever went on a trip with them. Did you ever go anywhere? We did for long periods of time. Yeah. The first time we went to Disney World, I was seven. So Dana was five and Allie was two. We went. So this was before Kyle was born. 1980, I think it was. And we went to Disney and they came with us and because be, because partially we stayed with Grandpa's brother, Uncle Vito, and his live-in companion, Lindy, and um, <laughs> and uh, I remember Grandma and Grandpa being in Orlando with us, and they were there for that first trip. The second time we went, when Colin was born, I was thirteen, and Colin was a baby. They weren't with us, but that's the only time that they they traveled a lot, and it was that t- type of thing where they traveled with their close friends. Um, on the block and other close friends they had out in New York, they went to, they would go to the Caribbean. They would take cruises down to St. Thomas. I think they did that a couple of times and St. John, they went to Hawaii once or twice. So they would go on trips, but we never, they traveled a little bit, but never the only other trip I went with them twice was I went up to New Hampshire with them twice. Once when I was really little, I remember this trip very well. I was young. I was probably like seven years old. And I remember it was the only time I slept for less than like what you should sleep for. Like I slept for like four hours because Aunt Joni and I were up the whole night like bullshitting and eating ice cream and watching the odd couple. Like Aunt Joni was like one of my best friends growing up, even though she was like 13 years. What was she, 13 years my senior or something? But she and I stayed up really late. And then the the five of us, I guess it was the five of us maybe, went to up to New Hampshire. And then I did that with them one more time when I was like in seventh grade because grandma's cousin, Anna, lived in New Hampshire up in outside of Nashua, up up in the White Mountains, actually. No, yeah, it's Conway. Oh, Conway. Conway. Right. That's right. Conway. Thanks. Right. And uh, so those are the only two trips I ever went with them on besides the Disney World trip. What about you, Kyle? Did you ever go anywhere with them? No, I don't think so. It's so funny you bring up Anjoni, though, because I remember going up to... Conway with Aunt Joni probably in 93 or 94 to go see Cousin Anna and mom was up there and people used to like people used to like going up there because New Hampshire there's no sales tax so people go shopping in New Hampshire for anyone that's out out of the states or just doesn't know anything about that it's a very great shopping locale especially for outlets and whatnot and uh, yeah so we went up there and what I remember about the trip very much is well first two things first of all that's when i met chun Li, who was like this like feral cat that was living in the area that ended up being they just ended up capturing and giving to me basically that's awesome and uh the second thing is that and joni bought me like went to like some pro shop or whatever or some card shop and bought me like an entire box of hockey cards but like you know like when you buy cards like 12 pack yeah. cards or whatever and they come yeah. in like a, a bigger box or whatever she bought me like a huge box like that oh, like that so they cool. would sell to a store so i remember just like opening them all and going through them and 
and having a, a great time. So yeah, funny memory of uh, up there for me as well. But no, I never went on. Uh, as far as I remember, I don't remember going on any trips with the uh, the grandparents with grams. per se. Let's see here. How about this one? Matthew Clarkson wrote in us, said my family was rooted with my grandparents. My grandfather ran a hockey team in Toronto uh, that went all over the country. I remember coming home for lunch at school and my grandmother would come home and do laundry on Fridays. She smoked. And when you walked in, you could smell it from the basement. I tear up when I get a whiff of cigarette smoke sometimes. Think things like that make me miss them. Our grandparents were smokers. I wonder they were if I wonder. Yeah. What What is your remembrance of this? Because I've been thinking about this lately in the sense that our dad. Yeah. Our dad's a smoker, too. And not so much anymore, but well, still a little bit. But he used to smoke indoors and in our house and stuff, too. And I think he was smoking inside until like the late 90s or early 2000s, which I think we had mentioned recently. But it's just so funny that everyone was just straight up smoking cigarettes inside this little. 1500 square foot house on Long Island probably yeah. three or four people smoking at a time. Oh, yeah Just boxing it out basically. What do you remember? What are your memories of that? Because it's so quaint now to think back on that Oh, it's so interesting. I don't it's so funny people get mad at me, but I, and they say you're crazy But I do not I know grandpa smoked But I don't remember grandpa ever smoking Now people say Dagan, you're crazy because grandpa quit smoking like 1980 There's no way you don't remember him with a cigarette. Well, I don't I don't remember grandpa smoking but apparently he didn't quit until you know, like the late 70s, early 80s or something. So I should remember, but I don't. But grandma, I remember smoking. She chain smoked. I mean, grandma always had like Virginia Slims or whatever brand she smoked. She always had them in the little leather cigarette case that you opened up at the top with the, you know, the metal snaps on top. And I remember her specific case. And I remember like she always had a lighter. I I remember her very well, like not only smoking in their house, but coming out to... The house in Medford and even the house in Brookhaven and we always had an ashtray for her and I remember her a very clear memory of her giving me my first G.I. Joe's like I had I got like rock and roll and the Mobat tank and the mobile missile system maybe a couple other things I remember her giving her my fir- giving me my first G.I. Joe's it was her and grandpa for some reason they just came out the ants weren't there maybe it was a weekday or something and they came out to see me for my birthday I was probably what at that age nine or something ten and I remember her giving me the presents and then just lighting up and smoking. And I, you know, it was like, but I don't have that many memories of it because it was just a commonplace thing for us, Dana and I, especially like growing up, Allie too, I guess to some degree of, you know, having just the, the cigarettes, not only with grandma, but Aunt Joni was a big smoker for a long time. And of course, our own dad, like Colin mentioned. So there was those three people. Aunt Carla never smoked. Mom didn't. Uncle Mike never did. And maybe back in the day, Uncle Tommy smoked. I don't remember that. But Uncle John also smoked. Um, Uncle John smoked a lot, actually, before he quit. He was one of the first uh, people in my life that quit like cold turkey and actually stuck and he never smoked again, which was actually pretty cool. But um, yeah, so cigarettes were like a big, that was a big thing. And I got my coffee habit from grandma too. Like I drink my coffee exactly like grandma drink, drank it. She she drank it light and medium, but the medium had to be like on the light side. And she was one of the first people to let me drink coffee. And I got my coffee habits from her. I have to drink it exactly how she drank it, which is really interesting. Because even mom drank it light light and sweet, not light and medium. So, Or sweet and, sweet and medium, whatever it's called. But yeah, cigarette. I'll tell you a funny cigarette story with grandma, though, Carl. This is a real... I was making dad laugh with this the other day. I have a very vivid memory 
Now, my doctor's, our pediatrician's appointment was in Garden City out west. So even when we lived 40 miles away, we would come into Garden City to go to the doctor, Dr. LaPera. And grandma took me to a doctor's appointment in that office building in Garden City. We got in the elevator. I was little. Got in the elevator. She lit up a cigarette, started smoking it. And now you're in a pediatrician's office building, like an office, a medical office building in the elevator, smoking cigarettes, right? This speaks to the time. And then burnt me with the, accidentally burnt me with the cherry of the cigarette (laughs) before we got up to, so I had a hole in the sleeve of, of the long sleeve of my jacket, through my jacket, through the sleeve of my shirt and a burn on my arm. Before we got, at least you were, you were in the right place for it anyway. I know, which is perfect. But I always remember that because it hurt like a bastard. And she, I remember two things: it hurt so much, but also because she felt so awful. But she must have just been. It must have been hanging down on her side, and my arm was against her, and it was smoldering. <laughs> it smoldered right through the layers of clothing. <laughs> but how crazy! It was in the elevator. I mean, could it be any more perfect than that? It's like how seventies slash early eighties is that. You're smoking yeah, in the awesome. elevator of a medical building. Dude, I love indoor smoking. It's the best. Oh, like, it's so good. It, I just love, I mean, I, I've said it many times, but it's one of my favorite things about going to Vegas is just chain smoking there. Yeah. Because I'm not a smoker otherwise. I don't smoke cigarettes or cigars, but when I'm there, man, I'm always smoking something. There's something to be said for that. It's that oral fixation, as they say. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, Trent Miller wrote in and said, I assume that all grandparents had a candy bowl for their grandchildren. What was your favorite candy that they had stocked up for you? Now, I'm not a candy guy, so I would have never noticed this. But was there anything like that with grandma and grandpa? You know what? Grandma had a real fixation, like a penchant for peanut butter cups. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. So she would have the mini peanut butter cups. But the one like we there would always be like a giant bowl of mini peanut butter cups on the table which is fine when you don't have little kids there. But, you know, when they were in their normal environment, their normal habitat during the week, they didn't have to protect that candy from kids. But then when we came over, it was like, you know, we were we were all in. We were like vultures. We just jumped in. So she would actually hide the bowl. But I knew where she told me where the hiding spot was so I could go and get them. But she wanted to keep them away from the little ones. So I always thought that was so cute. So she hid it in the I'll tell you now. She hid it in the cupboard in the living room across from that long couch with the orange pillows that you, we used to beat each other with. Yeah. <laughs> right in the little cabinet underneath, she used to keep all the peanut butter cups, like the bowl and then bags of peanut butter cups because she loved them. She loved to eat those at night. Grandpa had a big Italian guy thing of eating fruit at night while he was watching TV. He had to have his fruit, peaches, plums, whatever, oranges, whatever. And grandma had to have her peanut butter cups. So that was her big thing. But I don't remember old person candy in the house. Do you? I don't remember like the hard candy. No, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have remembered that, although it's funny because I mean, I probably haven't had them in a really long time, probably like 15 years or more. But peanut butter cups I can like handle. I'm not a chocolate guy at all, but like it, it's it's probably from that just from that. Oh, era. Maybe you know, I can handle I can handle them. Yeah. You, you could eat one or They're two fine. of those. OK. Yeah, okay. I can have one of them. Yeah, it's a little too too rich for me, but not as bad as many other things, of course. Interesting. Zach McPherson wrote in It's an interesting one. He says. Having just become a father myself, one of the coolest things I've seen is my parents becoming grandparents, particularly watching them relax their previously very strict rules around cleanliness and food mess. What was watching your parents become grandparents like for you guys? Well, you have a better insight into this because you have two children. 
What was uh, what was that like to see mom and dad become grandparents and I guess morph into that? I love that I, archetypal or that archetypical character. I love this because I was hoping we would get to this. Who who was our listener that wrote this in for us? This was from Zach McPherson. Hey, Zach. This is perfect because what my mom and dad becoming grandparents means to me is utter frustration because my kids do not know the people that were my parents. These are these are transformed, <laughs> utterly transformed characters. And there's no convincing your kid. I don't know if you're dealing with the same frustration, Zach, but there is no convincing your kids that these are different people. You know, I, I will plead with my daughter, be like, you do not understand. This was not grandpa 25 years ago. <laughs> do you understand? Like, this is a different person. This is a body snatcher version of grandpa. What happens is, it's funny because what happens with the grandparents, with the parents that become grandparents, is they've generally mellowed with age, I think. And it's funny to be reminded of that now with not only my kids, but with my niece and my nephews that they really know two completely different people than we knew back then, you know? And I think, you know, a grandparent's role is much different than a parent's role also. Like, I'm or I will already tell you that I am not going to be a disciplinarian for my grandkids. They are going to be spoiled rotten, and they are going to be held up on a pedestal like I was. Now, if you think I came out okay, then you wouldn't argue with that tactic. But maybe if you think I'm a little fucked up, then maybe that's not the best thing. So, but that, <laughs> I will tell touched. you now, that's how it's going to go with my with my grandkids. And mom and dad are really are like that. I think, again, I'm lucky to be in a role where they can be like that. You know, my kids see mom and dad a little less than I would like them to see because of our proximity to each other. But my kids really love seeing both of them and being in both of their homes. You know, even though they're divorced, it's the same dynamic. They look forward to going to Long Island. They really look forward to going to Virginia. They're already giving me a hard time about not staying long enough after Christmas, you know. And we're coming back because my daughter's having a New Year's Eve party here. And I'm like, Lil, we're coming back because you're having a party. Do you want to stay in Virginia longer? Like, it's your fault we're coming. We're going down there for right. like two days, you know. But they really love it. And I think they love the relationship they have with their grandma and grandpa where it's like, it's pure comfort for them. You know, it's, it's, it's a safe place. And I remember that really speaking to me that it's a place where you could, it's a relationship that you could take solace in. And I think, I don't know, you know, I know I'm kind of a, a touchy feely kind of guy and I'm a softy, but I think it's really cool for a kid to have that sort of dynamic with somebody in their life where the parents, we have to be more real. We have to, we have to enact rules. We have to carry out the rules. We have to be strict we have to teach our kids, but I think as long as the, the grandparents are holding up those things of, you know, hey, these are the these are the people that taught me manners. These are the people that taught me ethics. These are the people that taught me everything I know. So as long as they're the same, there's that same foundation there, they could be, you know, they could give them what the kids what they want and spoil them a little bit and you know, be much less quick to anger than they were with me, what, you know, and give them things that I wasn't able to have. And you know what I mean? Like type of thing. It's like, and when you're, when you're grandparents, you don't have that level of stress anymore because you're not, I think, I, I don't know. I can't say, cause I'm not a grandparent yet. Thank goodness. But soon enough, but I think there's a level of frustration that grandparents don't have to deal with because you don't have to handle the day to day rearing of these kids you know what i mean that that pressure is not on you now you're just in a space to be you know to be something else to be something a little more 
a little more ple- a little more pleasant, I would argue. Yeah, so it's, it's the best of all worlds. It's totally the best of all worlds. Like exactly. you said, you can turn it on and off at will, basically. Exactly. And it's been funny watching. I don't have kids, but it's been funny watching mom and dad just interact and deal with your guys' kids, the six nieces and nephews that are in our clan, because I, I brought this up to you, I think, in the past. We might have even talked about this on the show, but mom has this or had this like it's not priceless, but to her, like this really priceless ornament, this Christmas ornament, Miss, oh, yeah. Mr. Albertson, which is like this red turtle, this like crystal, not crystal, but whatever, glass turtle. And I, it was like a really sacred thing. Like my mom would put it on the tree or let us put it on the tree and she would take it out of the box. Was very careful. And we were like, I was like horrified of ever injuring this thing. And then a few years ago, your son and daughter were putting up ornaments on the tree and he he dropped it and broke it. Yeah. And I remember it was like not a big deal. Like her mom acted like it wasn't a big deal. But I'm like, dude, if like I broke that ornament when I was a kid or any of us like broke that ornament, it would have been like a really big deal. Yeah. And it was was just it was just an example of like they just it just didn't. It's like it's probably something he won't even remember, you know? Yeah, I don't know. And it's like if he does. I wonder if he does. And, and it's and to me, I'm like, I'm like, wow, it's so funny because it's really not a huge deal at all. It's a Christmas ornament from the 50s. It's not like the end of the world. But I just was like that. That ornament was symbolic to me as a kid of like, don't touch thing. You know, don't touch anything. Right. Forbidden. And uh, don't fuck around. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Then, no, it's different. You're right. That was it bad. would be like very carefully taken out of the box and like, <laughs> yeah, it was like, like Indiana Jones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it might explode or something if you no, I, like a grenade. It's great. That was bad because I think my th- our three nephews and Ayla were doing it too. So it was like the fact that it was great in was like extra bad. To, like you know, it was him that did it, and then, but he's actually interesting with it with this because he broke like four ornaments this year. And he's not a klutzy kid. Like, he doesn't typically break stuff. Like, I could trust him with... Not only is he not klutzy physically from a from a hand-eye coordination or from, you know, just a coordination point of view, but he's also thoughtful. So the fact that for some reason he just can't do Christmas decorations is like, what is going on with the Christmas decorations, you know? Like, we had three it's Satan's hold on him. <laughs> <laughs> Poor girl. Yeah, it's, uh, well, I got. I got to say, Dig. I got to check you a little bit. If if uh, your son broke four Christmas ornaments this year alone, then yeah. you might be a little bit of a, cl- a klutzy. Uh, yeah, it's more weird. klutzy than you're letting. It's on. weird. I don't. Yeah, it could be. Maybe, yeah, it's true. I mean, maybe he's just not in the position to break anything because he's not usually handling like glass things. And I actually don't give him glassware. Like, I don't <clears throat> give him glass glasses to drink out of because I'm afraid he's going to break them. So maybe, yeah, maybe something. Is a miss there. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna leave little traps for him all around mom's house when Glass you guys come visit. I'll leave like little little like caltrops on the ground and shit. <laughs> See what happens. Oh no, it might be bad. See if he can make it make his way around all of our, all of my uh, the various uh, <laughs> the various obstacles I put in his way. Oh poor. Kid. How about we have a few more here? Okay. Let's see here. I like this one's interesting. We can't relate to this one, but I do want to read this one aloud because I'm curious about your experience with this through your kids. Okay. Caleb Hager wrote into us and said, greetings, whippersnappers. Did your grandparents from your different parents ever compete for your favor? My mom's parents were a bit on the petty side trying to persuade me to want to visit them more with delicious waffles and TV bribery and telling me how bored I was going to be with my dad's parents. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we couldn't, as we said at the top, we can't relate to this really because we really didn't. There was no competition in a way. But I've been curious about what 
how this is shaping up with you because and I'm actually curious about this with Dana's kids too, our sister Dana's kids, because well, it's actually two different situations. The Dana's kids live in Virginia, just a, a stone's throw from mom. Right. So I think that they're naturally probably closer to mom, but they also have a very close relationship with Derek's parents as well. Sure. And then your kids live in the same or in, the, in an adjacent town to your wife's parents. Yeah. Their grandparents and then have to drive to see mom or dad or vice versa. So I'm wondering how you've watched that play out in your own life, because even though we didn't experience that sort of competition, I imagine that's got to play some sort of role. Like, I don't know. It's not like a mean spirited thing, but if I were like, I'd be a little competitive and want to make sure that I'm like the favorite against you know, the however other I can set. manipulate that situation. Yeah. OK, I mean, OK, sure. That's interesting. I don't think about that much. But now that you have me thinking about it, you have the wheels turning. I'll tell you this. My kids are naturally very close to Helene's parents to Helen and Charlie because yeah they live seven miles from here they live in a neighboring town and the plan was always to be close to them you know it was always to be close to you know to where Helene grew up because my family was you know sort of more scattered and it always you know that made that always made sense to me but it it makes the most sense to you when you're in it and I'm glad that they have that and they my in-laws, Colin knows my in-laws very well. They're they're wonderful people. I really lucked yeah, out they're great. with them. They're awesome. Yeah, they're good. They're, they're good people. A lot like our my family in a lot of ways, and they really, really like adore my children. I mean, Helene is the favorite. Their favorite kid. They don't say that, but I know it. And their Helene's kids are like you know our kids are like just like the apple of their eye, and they are very good to us too. And they you know they grew up here. They grew up going to the their shore house. They're very very close it's a very very close and comfortable relationship with my with Helene's parents with Helen and Charlie with mom and dad I think the draw is first of all they my kids both really love mom and dad I think that mom and dad just the way they are as grandparents has been very even though they they don't get to see mom and dad a lot I think how it's played out now over the years how it is right now today is that they miss them and when they are with them they don't want to leave them so i think that's really worked out but the other big draw for on our side of the family call with my kids with lilia and graydon is the fact of how much they love their cousins on this side of the family now they love their cousins their cousins are a lot younger they they have one older cousin that's around graydon's age but they're Mostly the cousins, there's only three cousins on this side of the family, on Helene's side, and the other two are younger. And there's a great love between my kids and Dana's kids and Ayla and Allie's daughter. And they really love each other. And they really want to spend more time together. And as time goes on, they really want to be with each other. And I think they miss each other. And I think there's a there's a special kinship, especially between Dash and Graydon and between Finn and Lilia are very close. So especially though, and and Ayla and, and Graydon also, I should say. Declan, we all know. Listen, Declan, our nephew, he's awesome. I love him so much. But he's, an, he's one of the adults. He wants to be with the adults. He wants to sit at the adult table now. He's like one of the big guys. He's like one of the big kids now. But there's a fast... There's just always been a fast friendship between Lilia and Finn that I think is really cute and with the three little ones. And they miss each other and they love each other. And it's funny because when they're with each other, they don't, especially the last few years, they don't want to leave when they're down in Virginia at 
you know, at grandma's and when they're, you know, when we were all just at dad's call was, you were there too in early October, they really, my kids really didn't want to leave, you know, because their, their friendship that they're forming with their cousins is that bond is becoming stronger. And I think I love the way that's playing out, even though that we're, there's a, there's a distance, you know, that we live five hours away from, you know, the Virginia contingent of the family. So it's, it's really fortunate. I love that it's played out that way. I love that the, I love, especially that the kids love each other and that, that my kids miss mom and dad too. And that they're an important part of their life as well. There's a, it's not a competition. It's sort of a different dynamic. I think that they spend so much time with, you know, my kids have spent so much time over the years with my, my in-laws and it's just a different relationship. You know, it's a different type of dynamic and maybe it's not even the same type of excitement. Like it's more commonplace to hang out with mom, mom and pup up. But when they go see mom and dad, our, our parents, it's a little more exciting because they get to see them less. So everything sort of balances out. I think, yeah, I think Helena and I have really gotten lucky with that. I'll tell you in terms of uncling, which is what I'm going to call it, verb, the verb I like for being it. an uncle. I'm, I'm working the ref as much as possible with everyone involved. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm pressing, I'm, I'm paying as close attention as I can. I'm keeping the ears open, you know, and I'm striking when the iron's hot and doing all these other platitudes in order to, <laughs> in order to keep competitive in what is undoubtedly a competitive uncle and aunt roster for these various children. I think you're revered. I think you're revered universally across the board. I think all the kids adore you. I think you're like some mystical figure in the family. Yeah, it's the mysticism is going to diminish now that I'm going to be part of the Virginia contingent. But it's funny, dude, because I'm trying to make little traditions with all the kids, specifically through presents, if I can, right. uh, like Christmas presents and stuff. So, like, for instance, with the Woznox, uh, with Declan, Finley and Dash, Dana's kids, I buy them all their video games. I right. bought them their PS3. I bought them their PS4. I bought them their uh, Switch. I'm going to buy them their PS5 when it comes out, etc. Like, I, I want them to always think about when they're older, they'll always associate games with me you right, know like right. or their experience with video games with me and uh with your son Graydon, for instance i'm trying to like buy a mega man stuff and nerdy video game stuff i want him to relate that stuff to me too and with your daughter more manga and stuff like that with ayla ali's kid ali's daughter ali's mentioned in the past that she felt like i was kind of ignoring ayla from a video game perspective ayla's oh. kind of a girly girl you know she and, is yeah she is a little bit and, sure. but that's not you know ali was a girly girl too and ali really loved video games so I actually talked to her last week and I was like, listen, I'm kind of thinking about what you said. I do buy the boys these video games all the time. And I buy Ayla, you know, like an American girl's doll. What if she loves that shit, too? But I was like, should I buy Ayla a switch this year? You know, and buy. you know, I was not going to get her a PS4 or something, but like something she actually enjoy. So I got her. <laughs> so I was like, should I get her a switch? And Allie's like, I don't know. And then she asked and she's like, no, Ayla doesn't want that. And I'm like, ah, all right. Like we've lost one along the way i guess right she doesn't she's not interested in video games yeah so i have to be a little more creative with her which is actually kind of a nice challenge to me yeah she's a very creative kid because i don't ha i don't have to be all that creative with the other ones you know no, but you know what she likes ayla likes books and ayla ayla is very creative it's turning out that ayla likes to draw she likes art so she's yeah she's a she's an interesting she's an interesting one yeah she's um i know what i'm getting her but i'm not going to say it on here because i don't want Allie to hear it yet but yeah, yeah, I, I I'm getting her. I've already have to get her a present, too, but it's going to be one of those. It's some, something similar. I got her another time. And I'm like, I got to be a little more thoughtful with this uh, 
this little one. Although I'll be around her now, so we'll be, we'll get to know each other better. Yeah, exactly. Figure, exactly. Figure yeah, that's that so out. cool. That's so cool that you that that that's gonna take place. I love that. You know. Yeah, she's, a, she's this is a, actually the final episode of knockback we will be recording from well i'll be recording from california actually, oh that's right or not. that's yeah. right you'll be gone the end of an era well, it really is it really is or the end of an error as they as some might say <laughs> nice all right let's get into a few more of these we're running long i don't want to make this longer than this is going to be longer than the ep- the episode one <laughs> knockback episode oh which God. nothing needs to be that long <laughs> Ethan Fitzgerald wrote into us and said, one thing I find fascinating about my grandparents is the amount of massive world events they have been or were alive for. My last living grandparent just had her 90th birthday with the other three dying in the 2000s. When you consider that they got to witness Prohibition, the Great Depression, World War Two, uh, World War One would be in there, too, if they got to witness Prohibition, unless they were born around that time. World War Two, the Cold War, JFK being assassinated, the civil rights movement and the invention of computing and mobile telephones. Mm. It really is quite astounding. Do you ever think about or consider just how crazy of a time period your grandparents lived in? I think about that all the time, actually. They call them the baby boomers. Parents are called the greatest generation in American parlance. And it just so happens that that's probably true, if not literally, then at least figuratively, just because they did experience so many things. The, the world today for as as chaotic as it seems and certainly as chaotic as it can be in certain parts of the world, certain corners, the world has never been more prosperous, has never been more peaceful. It has never been easier to live in. It has never been more fulfilling for many people to live. You don't have to worry about like most people. There are people out there, obviously, have to worry, but you don't have to worry. People in the United States aren't dying of starvation, for instance. Right. Right. They're not. uh, You're not going to go jobless in the United States for a long period of time if you really can work and are looking for a job. Things of this nature. And um, I just think about the crazy shit that our grandparents did see just because they they did bear witness to a lot of really amazing stuff that doesn't only tickle me from an historian's point of view, of course, but just more generally speaking, like it's kind of just amazing that they did. It's very historic. But at the same time, when you really think about like those are just things we're talking about. It's like, oh, they saw the Great Depression. It's like, yeah, the Great Depression fucking sucked. You know, the Great Depression sucked. It was awful. You know, and then it's like, oh, they saw World War Two. And it's like, <laughs> it's like the most horrifying thing that's ever happened. World War Two, you know. Exactly. So in other words, it's not necessarily like a good thing that they saw all these things. But nonetheless, it's like a, it's part of the, the character of of that generation. And as we talk about grandparents now, like our parents are grandparents and they're baby boomers. And then you're going to be grandparents and you're Gen X and so on and so forth. And it's just, it's going to lose. I feel like it's going to lose that special quality because none of us have really seen anything on par with or done anything on par with what these people had to deal with back in the day. Yeah. The magnitude, magnitude seems pretty epic, whether it was atrocities or, you know, breakthroughs, the moon landing. I mean, yeah, if you think about just look at grandma, right? She was born in what? 1924 and she passed in 2004. So 80 years and, all of those things through that through that time, it's it's almost harrowing to think about the the amount of progression and the amount of evolution and all the things that 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 generation, that specific generation, especially what they saw, you know, eventually what we you know, when we, you know, we came and eventually when we go, we'll have our things like 9-11 and those big milestones. But I that's one thing. That I think about in relation to a lot of the, you know, the greatest generation and our grandparents as millennials and Gen Xers and stuff is that they didn't they didn't have to a lot of them didn't have to see that. And I'm grateful for that. 
you know, grandma was alive when it happened, but she was already, you know, the, the Alzheimer's and the dementia and everything. So, you know what I mean? So at least she didn't have to bear witness to that atrocity and grandpa was already gone. So I think that would have broke their heart because New York was such, especially for people that were New Yorkers, because New York was such a, such an important place for them. They helped build it. You know, they helped make it what it was. They grew up there. Their parents and their grandparents built New York, you know, so it's, you know, that, that always speaks to me. I always, I always wonder about them being around or being cognizant and what kind of effect that would have had on them. But that's one positive you could take out of it is that they didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to be around for that crap. Yeah, our generation saw tragedies like 9-11 and the Iraq War and the release of the Disney Star Wars trilogy <laughs> and all of these other things, these terrible things that bef- have befallen our society. Uh, Joe Barry wrote in and said, ever wonder if those awesome old names will have a resurgence in society? Mm. Florence, Stella, Marjorie, Arthur, Ernest, Leopold. If I ever have a kid, I think I'll go with Theodore. Old people are the nice. shit. And so are you guys. Well, we're old, so that's probably why. Yeah, I always think about that old person names. They they have to have been a young person at some point. So, yeah, when will these names come back? I feel like names are getting more obtuse now. So, like, it's entirely possible these names never fully come back. But someone's always going to be named like Ernest or yeah. Florence or whatever. And these are fine names. They yeah, are. Stella. Names. I mean, Stella's back. I know. Stella. I know. Stella's Stella. <laughs> yeah that's so yeah i don't know a lot of them come full circle you know we used to make fun of what uh grandma's friend Vi- lillian lillian vivian what was it i don't know vivian's don't an awesome name vivian's Vivian. vivian's kind of a hot name was grandma's friend vivian hot i think grandma's friend vivian was not hot i think she was not hot. Oh, I'm, that's unfortunate <laughs> that's unfortunate she's probably born in like 1888 or something like that <laughs> she All right. might have been a one time <laughs> Dig, let's end with this letter. All right. I think you'll like this one. Jonathan Smitty wrote in. I'm sure his friends call him Smitty. He says, hey, C&D, this may not be the kind of submission you'd been looking for, but I thought it might be an interesting, interesting and, in my opinion, humorous perspective. I remember the classic childhood with my grandparents of getting cookies with grandma and going to the movies with grandpa. Around the age of 12, my parents had a falling out with my grandparents and I never saw them again. I grew used to having no grandparents and just living my life without thinking much of them. Then seven years later... At my first job at a golf course, my grandfather showed up one day and ordered a bo- order a bucket of balls. Never before has a moment felt so soap opera-ish uh, in my life as this one where we stared at each other for a minute, waiting to see who would go first in this game of grandparent chicken. It was maybe the most awkward moment of my life, and that's quite a high bar. Love your podcast, as I'm not sure how I'd get through my daily drives for my jobs without them. Hope you have a great day. Oh, wow. That's Thank nice. you very much. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Smitty. <laughs> I'm just calling you Smitty. I don't know Smitty. if actually that's what your friends are. Wow, that's, tra- that's tragic when that's got to be really hard. I wonder what that falling out, not to pry, but I wonder what that falling out was all about because it's hard. That's hard because the, then the kids are just victimized by it. You know, they're the ones that. I mean, are out. you are you prying if someone wrote in about it and you're just inquiring <laughs> further? I don't know if you're prying at that point. I don't know. Seems like they open themselves up a little bit. No, I. Hey, I appreciate no, I it. I'm curious to know what the details would be there, but that's tragic. I really feel bad for him on that, and if he has sibs and everything like that with, uh, with something like that, that's that's terrible. I mean, I know a lot of a lot of different uh, drama can befall a family, but I have to wonder what something like that's all about. Well, we don't have any drama in our family. So oh, none, none, good. no, none at all. But you know what, though? But something like that, it makes me feel <laughs> lucky, you know, for the 
for the small dramas, the petty, the seemingly petty dramas that might, right. you know, wow, that's a, that's a heavy one. That's a really heavy one. Well, Dig, is there anything that you wanted to touch on before we go? Uh, or are you satiated? Well, you know what? I the other, other thing I should mention as a tribute to our grandma and grandpa, to Allie and Betty, is that they taught me indirectly. They were such a cool couple. They were such a loving couple because I never remember. I should have talked to mom about this to confirm, but I never remember them being very demonstrative with their affections. They weren't huggy or kissy all the time, but... I always knew how much they loved each other by their interactions. They were very respectful of one another. And, you know, look, they had a marriage of 50 years. Um, That's a long time to be married to somebody. And I never, ever saw them argue or fight, ever. And I spent a lot of time with them, you know. And not just going for Sunday dinners and not just going every other week for a barbecue in the summer or holidays and all that kind of stuff, very close family, but... I stayed there, especially Dana and I growing up, stayed there overnight, sometimes two nights because mom and dad would go out. They would drive us, drop us off at grandma and grandpa's. They would go out in the city. They would be out late. They would stay out, whatever it was. So we spent a lot of time there. We were around them a lot. And I don't remember them ever arguing or they always got along. I think they really knew the throes of being in a relationship with each other. And they modeled that. And I really... There's couples in my life that I look at that I admire, and it's them. My friend, my best friend John growing up, his two parents, Kathy and Johnny, had the consummate amazing marriage. Like They were really, really in love with each other. And they were high school sweethearts, and they're still together to this day. And my friend PJ's parents, Paul and Celeste. Celeste passed a couple of years ago. But their marriage was also one that was like one to model your relationships after. They were just really, they were thick as thieves. They were made for each other. They were peas in a pod. And they knew how to have a marriage. They just had a lovely relationship. And grandma and grandpa really modeled that for me. And it's it was sad when it, you know, I'm glad they went 50 years and it was sad when they split up. And I think it's really when, when they had to, be a part when grandpa passed and the effect it had on grandma. But I think it's really telling of why it hit grandma like it did. And I would always think even back then in my twenties, like we don't know because it was really frustrating not to have grandma anymore. You know, she slipped into the shell of herself in her Alzheimer's and her dementia and everything. And it was really painful. And I lived there for a while when I came back from California, I lived um, at my grandma's house for a year and I was with her and I was able to be with her through that time. And it was very hard sometimes because you wanted that person back. But I think it's really telling how much they loved each other because when, you know, it was like a part of herself died when, when our grandpa died. And I always felt like it was, we should never really judge her for that because we didn't, we don't know what it's like to love somebody for that long over that many years and be with each other through all those times, good and bad, and have all that experience with one another. So that was always a big thing for me. It was like that sort of love I always really admired. And I wanted to, I wanted to definitely say that. And also I always admired, I think we talked about this, the show before to end on a funny note. I always admired grandpa's 
sleuth detective skills in made for TV movies or Matlock or Murder She Wrote or whatever. <laughs> like that the fact that he would know exactly what the caper was gonna be and who the who was gonna be, you know, who is the criminal, who is the guilty one. He would know it in the first five minutes of everything we watch. It was ridiculous. I it was magical. I I still have no idea how he knew that stuff. You know, I marveled at it as a kid. I, I hated watching those shows as a kid, but it would I would watch it with them and stay there just to see if what he said in the first five minutes would play out. And he was always right. He'd be like, that's the murderer. That guy's going to do this. That guy's going to do that. Like he would just be like, it was like a blueprint, like picture like a coach with the whiteboard with the X's and O's. Like he'd be like this, this, this. It was like, it was like ridiculous. I was, I, I was like, how... Is he cheating somehow? How did, how would he know this? <laughs> right. Yeah, he's he's cheating off of the TV guide or something probably. <laughs> right. or like, was there something that I some never way. knew? <laughs> but that you know, that's that for the for me. I have to close with that. You know, look look how lucky we were. You know, with these two these two birds. And definitely, definitely. If only I was born a little earlier and my childhood wasn't stolen from me, then maybe we would have uh, <laughs> would have Welcome. been able to enjoy. Maybe I would have been able to enjoy it a little bit more. <laughs> Kyle, you know what? Give me, give me uh, your best. This is sort of putting you on the spot, but as you could think of it, yeah. give me your best grandma, grandpa, from nerd culture, pop culture, TV movies, hmm. cartoons, anything. Just give me your your what's your go to? It's a really good question, huh? Grandma and grandpa. I guess that they're their parents. I was gonna say um, George's parents on Seinfeld, but they're they're not their grandparents. They're just there's just his right. Parents. Yeah, you hit, let's you, see grand. Let's see grandparents. Grand parents. Even if it's, it's oh, just a grandpa. grandpa Joe, Grandpa oh, Joe from I knew that was Willy be Wonka. Right. Of course, I knew it. I knew that was going to be and Grandma so and Grandma one. Josephine. That fine motherfucker. Oh, that's who <laughs> it was. I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't think of her name, so I didn't write her down. Fine as a motherfucker. That's good. I have the Golden Girls. They are grandparents. Oh, there you go. That's some of the, right because yeah. you don't think of them automatically because there's no men involved anymore. But right. But um, although Dorothy's ex-husband, what's his name, Stan? Dorothy and Stan. Yes, yeah, Stan. Yes, yeah, Stan's still in it. But yeah, and you hear about like Charlie is Rose's husband that's died, and Blanche has been slutting around with whoever she's been <laughs> slutting around with, and all that. So yeah, yeah. There's there's been some there's been some mention of it, but uh. And yeah, grandkids are in there at some point. I think it's Rose has a daughter and I think his her grandkids are in it or something because like her daughter is like a granddaughter is a dickhead or something. I don't know. I don't remember. I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, so that, that's going to be that's going to be an episode at some point for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I used I mean, I still do love that show, but there was when I still used to watch TV, which I really don't do anymore, like watch cable TV or whatever on Hallmark Channel at night was like four episodes back to back to back to back of golden girl so i used to just watch it constantly it's oh, really it's wonderful so, show it's, it's just so it's an absolutely hysterical show it's oh, really it's, inappropriate too which i love oh it's so inappropriate yeah it's so good yeah it's awesome it's it's really really fantastic like some of it's like really inappropriate and i love b arthur's deadpan look oh, she basically she almost like breaks the fourth wall in the show which i think is really funny yeah like when someone shits on her she almost like stares <laughs> at the camera in a way you know like jim in the office totally she totally she doesn't literally do it but she they definitely they like change the angle so it's like a different angle of her like looking all (laughs) exacerbated that's so good really good stuff i love b arthur she's awesome oh she's or was awesome r.i.p yeah r.i.p b 
she was a lot she was a lot of woman b arthur was a lot of woman for sure she was she was like seven feet tall or something yeah she's like larry bird (laughs) 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 all right uh let's uh wrap things up day with our uh closing segments which i will kick to you now okay closing segment call we're gonna do our little segment that we're calling simon based on the classic electronic game of sounds and lights following the sequence of sound and lights. We're going to do a little audio version here, Kyle. We're going to do it based on our grandparents' version. And you know what? We're just going to go really easy this time, Kyle. We only have two, cho- we only have two choices, okay? And But we're going to do 13 of them, if you don't mind. All right? Okay. So two choices in sequence, but we're going to do 13. Let me make sure I have 13 here. One, two, three. Okay. Okay, here we go. So, Kyle, the only two choices are moth and balls. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So here we go for our grandparents episode. Let's do this. Moth. Moth. Moth balls. Moth balls. Moth balls balls. (laughs) Moth balls moth. Wait, Wait, let's start over. Let's start over. Let's start over because I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't pronounce that one clearly because I was laughing. All right. Moth. Right. Moth. Moth balls. Moth balls. Moth balls balls. Oh, you said balls. Okay. Moth balls balls. Moth balls balls moth. Moth balls balls moth. <laughs> moth balls balls moth moth. Moth balls balls moth moth. <laughs> moth balls balls moth moth balls. Moth balls, balls, moth, moth, balls. <laughs> moth balls, balls, moth, moth, balls, moth. <laughs> <laughs> moth balls, balls, moth, moth, balls, moth. Moth balls, balls, moth, moth, balls, moth, moth. Moth balls, balls, moth, moth, balls, moth, moth. Very good. Moth balls balls moth moth balls moth moth balls. Moth balls balls moth moth balls moth moth balls. Wow, you're gonna get this. Moth balls balls moth moth balls. Stop saying balls like that. (laughs) (laughs) Balls balls. I'm trying to say. I'm trying to sound different than moth. Yeah, I understand. All right. All right. Sorry. Start again. Balls balls. Moth. We're not gonna get through this. Moth balls balls moth moth balls moth moth balls moth. Moth balls balls moth moth balls moth moth balls moth. Wow, you're getting this. Moth balls balls moth moth balls moth moth balls moth balls. <laughs> Sounds like a bad house song or something. Moth balls balls moth moth balls moth moth balls moth. One more. Balls. You got <laughs> You're gonna get this. You're gonna get it. Moth balls balls moth moth balls moth moth. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this anymore. It's 11 o'clock at night. My family's probably wondering what the hell is going on in here. All right. Let's try this one more time. Moth balls, balls, moth, moth, ball. 
<laughs> All right, I'll, I'll stop laughing. Sorry. All right, good. <laughs> All right, let's try this one more time. Let's get through this. Moth balls, balls. Moth, moth balls. Moth, moth balls. Moth balls, balls. <laughs> <laughs> moth, moth balls. Moth. Wait, did I already get it wrong? Wait, no. say, start again. Moth balls balls moth moth balls moth <laughs> moth balls moth balls no <laughs> I think you messed that, I think you messed that up all right you, it's fine you, you got twelve you got twelve you got dude that was pretty good or did you get eleven that was a good one that was I, good I enjoyed that, that one <laughs> you enjoyed I very much balls. enjoyed that one that was a that was a good ball, sick balls, balls, sick balls. <laughs> oh, my friend. Well, this was a fun one. I, I will go out with a dad joke. Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. Here we go. I got a, I got a crop of new ones. I'm not sure how good these ones are. Last, it's going to be pretty hard to top the well one. The well one makes me laugh every time I think about it. Right. So That's I, a good one. Yeah, that was a really good one. For those yeah, of you excellent. who haven't heard that episode yet. Why did the man fall down the well? Because he couldn't see that well. <laughs> <laughs> You're real proud of that one. You have to really love that like one. That. All right, Kyle, let's see. Okay, Kyle, I never really cared much for speed bumps, but I'm getting over them slowly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. All right, we'll go. We'll do one more. This is going to be a hard one okay. to read. Let me see if I could read this one. No, I'm not going to do that one. All right, I'm going to do because I don't think it translates very well. Kyle, I had to quit my job as a taxi cab driver. Yeah, I couldn't stand all those people talking behind my back. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. That is a bad one. A taxi cab driver. You got to update that joke a little bit. A taxi. Dads. I know. Should I? Should I went with the Uber? Should I go? I was gonna change it to Uber. Yeah, you got to go with yeah. An Uber, I think, would not. Yeah, you might as well say you're like a covered carriage <laughs> I'm a covered driver dr- at this point. Drawn car- horse drawn carriage driver. I was just saying. I think my my son, Graydon, your nephew's humor is getting very cutting because we were on our way to, bas- to his basketball game yesterday, and Pink Floyd came on the radio in the car. And I said, oh, man, I forget what song it was now. But I said, oh, man, I used to listen to this album in the car with Grandpa when I was your age, when I was nine. And there was just like a beat. And he was like, you guys had cars back then? <laughs> <laughs> like, Is he, how's his team? How's his basketball team doing? He's one and one. He, uh, they, he, They're doing good, man. They really clicked. I thought his coaches were a little too cerebral as far as what they were teaching them with zoning and you know just taking it to like the next level as far as strategy and formation and all that kind of stuff and Graydon was getting confused and I'll admit to not I'm not a big basketball guy so even I was getting confused to some of the ins and outs but everything really clicked in yesterday's game and his team is really good because he's on a team with everyone in his school this year last year he was on a team with um, you know, they were common age, but all the kids went to a different elementary school. So he's in a, on a team that he knows. Now, the bad thing is that they're all in fourth grade, I think, except for Graydon, who's in third. So he's younger. But you know what? They're really good as far as like passing 
and like, you know, strategy and sharing the ball and stuff. Cause you know, at that age, nine years old, you're trying to be a glory hog. You just get the ball and you shoot it from where, from wherever you're from, wherever you're at on the floor, you just shoot, but they've been really good. And they really like took the team apart yesterday. I was like really impressed. Graydon had a couple of shots and he had a couple of, um, he had a couple of recoveries where he had to, you know, he was grabbing the, the ball down low on the floor. You know, and he had to pass it from the floor because right. you can't get back up with it. Right, right. He was really aggressive. I was like, I was really proud of him. So, yeah, basketball I thought was going to be weird this year, but it seems like he's getting the grasp of the game now rather than just the skills of dribbling and shooting and all that kind of stuff. So I'm enjoying watching him. You know, he's he picked the sport most foreign to me besides hockey, which I never really played. So Yeah, he's... Uh... He's he's gonna throw, start throwing some elbows on the court, <laughs> coming down with the board, coming with a clear mask on. <laughs> gonna get yeah, gonna come yeah, exactly. Uh, be taking free throws and getting technicals and all whatever is going on in basketball. It's pretty cool because uh, the first half the the ref warns them about everything, and then the second half the rules apply. So fouling traveling, everything, you know, up and down, all the rules apply in the second half. So you're warned for the first half. So you got to get it into your head because last year it was like, and they could break away with the ball. Now they don't have to wait for the defense to the defense to reset in the second half. So they, they're actually playing a real game in the second half this year, which is kind of neat because last year it was like, okay, let the defense reset. You can't break away on a rebound or anything like that. But now it's kind of, now it's getting a little more real. It's getting a little bit now you're more gonna, r- real game. Going to run that ball down their throats. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun. You know what? Maybe if when you come out, you might be be able to catch a game with him. Yeah, no, I, I would love to do that. I was telling that with Declan, too, because our, our oldest nephew, Declan, is really into basketball, and he's going to start playing. Um, he's going to try out for, like, the school JV team or whatever next year. Or oh, whatever that's it is. cool. I, I didn't like, know I'm, gonna, that. I'm like, I'm totally going to get... A jersey, like a custom-made Wozniak jersey, <laughs> that's and awesome. wear it to the to the games. Like I'll to, I'm totally gonna do that. Oh, awesome. that's awesome! Excited about that. All right, Dave. Well, that's it. That's the last episode of Knockback before I move permanently. Ooh. So this is the last one we're recording from, or at least I'm recording from the studio. It's a little sad for me, but from the left coast. From the it's yeah, tough. trying to time to time to get the hell out of here. <laughs> God's sake. And uh, yeah, so we'll be back for. This is episode 98, I think. 99 will be a normal episode, but then episode 100 after that will be a special episode that special. we're going to do for you guys. I'm excited about it. And uh, yeah, so we'll have more. Well, we're not going to have more on that until it goes live. Then you'll figure out what it actually is. But uh, we appreciate your love, your kindness, your generosity. Remember, you can support the show and get it a week early ad free on patreon.com slash Collins last stand early. Uh, also, I'm sorry, early. It doesn't make any sense. Also, <laughs> the ability to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to our show etc. And so on. Go to CollinsLastStand.com for merch, etc. Uh, this will go live for patrons the day after Christmas. So, yes. yeah. So Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, all of that to all of you. And we will see you next time for more Knockback. Until then, goodbye. Knockback is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded in Santa Monica, California and the Philadelphia suburbs of Pennsylvania, USA. The show is produced by me, Colin Moriarty, and was conceived of by myself and Dagan Moriarty, who is also my co-host. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Dagan is on Twitter at Dagan1973 and on Instagram at DaganLikesToDraw. 
Knockback is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to our P.O. Box, P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. As you know, all things Collins Last Stand, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algaret, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Ruidon, Fitzpatrick, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem Al Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Hayden Gorringe, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El Raisi, Josh Yeager, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Julefs, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Lastiqua, Don Q. Lee, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Purdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymall, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, Matthew Tamer, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Michael Vecchio, Justin Wagaman, Oakley Waldron, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayne, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Bloody Fang, Organic Produce, Homeworld Hub, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Boots, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craftheads Podcast, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, A Fortuna, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, and Rainick. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 